This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Go. Row. It's pronounced R O H like. Hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 18 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. As always, it is me, Trevor Dame, and as always, it is by my side, right beside me, but not uncomfortably close, Matt Feuerstein. But what's a little different is our second ever guest. Matt, say something first. Well, I was going to take that as a hint that you think that I sit too close to you, so... I guess I'll not only move to another country, but maybe another continent. I guess that's far enough away for you. Thanks. Oh, well, I would love if you went to Europe, Matt. Uh-huh. You should explore more. Again, mm-hmm. I forgot you already went to Europe. <laughs> okay. Um, I can go back. But you, people, I mean, as people know, contractually, through the years, is only allowed to have guests with the following qualifications. Their first name has to start with J. They have to have had a podcast on the CubsFan.com radio network. They have to have had us on that podcast, and they have to be good at doing podcasts. So we've only found two people so far that fit that qualification. One, of course, they fit two was of the Joe three, Gagne. Two of the three categories, I would say. Mm-hmm. We haven't got Jubs fan yet, but we will. And um, normally, so Joe Gagne. And then... This guy who uh, has so many accolades, so many things I could plug, it's crazy. You might know him from his million great appearances on Dr. Keith Presents with Alan. You might, know, <laughs> you might know him from way, way back. If you're cool and not a weirdo, you might know him from all the recap work he did on the pre-merger WrestlingObserver.com. <laughs> You might know him from his own show, The Justin Shapir Show. It's Matt Foyer. R.I.P. Hello, it's me, James Kalen, the <laughs> Dean Malenko Eats Dogcast. You might know hey, him. over at TCF. From The Justin Shapir Show, someone that isn't Justin Shapiro. Yeah, that's me. Guys, <laughs> it's a mistake. Is it a mistake that you brought me here? No, it is the best decision we ever made. Right, Matt? I mean, let's not go crazy. But um, but I am pretty happy about it. It's a it's a solid pick. Um, I'll go. Let's go with it. Hey Justin. Okay. Good. Hey Matt. Don't go to Europe, Matt. Your your prime <laughs> ISIS bait, man. It'll be all over you. Uh, I think they could do better. Uh, all right. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm loving to be on Throw the Years, and it's been a lifelong dream of mine for the last uh, seven months or so, and I finally made it happen. All I had to do was retroactively attend a show that I sort of remember. And that laid the groundwork for what's happening right now. Yeah, because for those who don't know, Justin is from Pittsburgh, though, or the Pittsburgh area. And so you were at the show, weren't you? Yep. We haven't, we haven't, quite, said, we haven't quite said what the show is yet, though. So What if I oh, bluffed you and I wasn't? But yeah, that would, I was there. Tell them. Tell them. That would be uh, – the show we are reviewing today is Retribution – Round Robin Challenge 2, which is the last Ring of Honor show that took place in the Pittsburgh area in West Mifflin, to be exact. You killed the territory, Justin. Yeah. Justin destroyed the town. Guilty. In fact, uh, 
Dave Meltzer reported in The Observer at the time, quote, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to draw in the Pittsburgh area like in all the other markets they've tried. <laughs> all of them? <laughs> so um, I don't know what it is about your mongrel people that live in the Steel City, but... It's pronounced Monongahela, but that's okay. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, um, it, it's sad because I thought this was the one of the best crowds in terms of just reactions that they gave matches that uh, Ring of Honor has had in the run we've been watching so far, Matt. And yeah, they they were they were like up for literally every match, so can't ask for more than that. I mean, I guess you so, can. I guess you could ask for them. Would be more of them who are up for more every people match. to come. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's the only <laughs> thing you could ask for. Yeah. Um, is it bad that I, I put up a bunch of signs in the week before the show advertising a different date? Do you think that's a problem? <laughs> uh, so you're like, it's like one of those um, those voter suppression tactics. That yes, that's right. I said <laughs> PA 18, which that may possibly be in. I'd have to double check my map. I think it's a little too east for PA 18. But yeah, yeah, we redistricted the, uh, the site of the show. Sorry, sorry. Justin, are you in PA 18? No, I'm right above near it it's southwest of me by scant feet because yeah your district is probably more like democratic yeah it's the city baby yeah there's some city runoff who did the work yesterday that's right we are recording this day after this historic election that i'm sure you all want to hear about you americans and your politics (laughs) in canada they don't have politics they all just get free bread uh coupons bread care Yes, it's a series of important handshakes and bread price fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Justin, here's my question yeah, yeah. for you. Before we get into the weeds of this whole thing, what do you remember about this date almost literally 15 years ago? Today's date or the date of that show? The date of that show. <laughs> no, March 14th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you eating? Hang on. Um, early April 2003. I don't know. Did we invade Iraq that day? <laughs> yeah, this was post-invasion, I believe. The invasion was ongoing. Yeah. Protests were but, were happening. But only the second worst screwed up invasion of that decade. Am I right or am <laughs> I right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, but 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 seriously, like, and I, I actually am curious because, like, it's interesting. Cause oh, you, you're not fishing for an answer. You just want to know what was in my mindset. <laughs> well, I thought something happened. That no, day. no, no, no. I'm actually asking about, yeah, like what? My what, son was born. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, you were a young father. Um, hmm. the, the, no, just because you know you're not particularly known as being a Ring of Honor fan. I think it's fair to oh. say. And, no, this is one of three Ring of Honor shows I've ever seen. Yeah, and. And yet, you went to a Ring of Honor show uh, two full years or more before I ever went to mm-hmm. one, and I'm, you know, been on a lot of podcasts as a Ring of Honor <laughs> regular fan. So yeah. I, just, I want to like just what was your thoughts about it? What was your experience like besides the actual matches? What do you remember about the event? What do you remember about what your thoughts were going into it? Um, what your expectations were? What you knew before going? Like. I know it's probably it's a long time ago. It's hard to remember any of this stuff, but what do you remember, honestly? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm trying to recontextualize myself in that time because there's a lot of like information that arrived by osmosis. I just don't know which of it came after April 2003. Right. Like when did perverted justice happen? I, I know that's a thing. Almost a year that, after that. 
Yeah. Okay. So, um, now it's one of only three shows I went to. I did watch, I think, their inaugural show with a three-way or a four-way. Someone should do a podcast to explain what those early shows were yeah. like, and then I would have better recollection of it. <laughs> um, well, well, you, well, you were dragged there basically by Mike Stamkoff, your roommate, right? Like that's Mike has a wider palette of enjoyment than me. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't appreciate that stuff and think it's good i just don't have any like self-motivation to seek it out or put the time in to watch it so yeah if he, if he hadn't wanted to go i would not have gone myself um but we we got the observer in college um as only the coolest people would have a observer newsletter mm. delivered to your college mailbox hell yeah um Online would have been very convenient then, but they, whatever. He um, did. He did offer an online observer very briefly in the year two thousand. I don't know. That's that's almost like a little known fact. But I subscribed to yeah. it, so I know it was true. And mm-hmm. Dave was way more scared about people pirating the observer back then. <laughs> like yeah. nowadays, we just all quote it on Twitter or screen cap it. Back then, Dave was like, oh, "I'm having second thoughts about this whole livelihood on the internet thing." Like, Save I'm going to Jeff Merrick. They. Control C, Control V, the Observer in like three <laughs> seconds. Oh no! Um, but mm. so yeah, it was it was covered in there. So I'd read the Observer and know these people, and also NWA TNA, which uh, I I know is strange for you guys to hear pronounced that way. So I'll only use all six letters. Was around <laughs> with some overlap in talent at the same time. So um, I don't think I knew that Brian Danielson was an awesome man at the time of this, although I knew of him from when Alvarez went to the King of Indies and wrote a bunch of um, figure four stories about that. I knew maybe it hadn't quite happened yet that Samojo was getting this reputation for being uh, like a good world champion figure guy. Yeah, this was his first ever title defense, so it would have been premature. Right? And <laughs> so I was the first one to notice obviously and i was like this guy's really carrying himself like a champion um and somehow i knew going to this show that punk was a guy to watch and a man with presence yeah paul um, london knew- paul london was definitely the guy there who was all the rage at this point what did what did you know about him i knew that uh i didn't know retroactively that he would be in wwf in a matter of like i don't know four months right right and um London was known, and also Christopher Daniels was a known guy because he had been in like commercials with the Hardy Boys and was an, an indie figure of some renown, the now, near higher power. Now let me ask you, just because you yeah, are known yeah. to uh, to scoff at certain things, did you scoff at the notion of Ring of Honor at the time? Were you like, not yet? These are indie <laughs> scrubs. Did, did... No, I didn't have anything to be oppositional defiant against yet. Mm-hmm. It was probably more like two years later. I've been like, that seems cool, guys. Have a blast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matt, really holding your feet to the fire, you were way more welcoming of Joe Gagne, Matt. I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm not holding his feet to the fire. It's, I, sw- <laughs> I swear, I really am just genuinely curious because I was not you know, actively following yet. And I, re- and, you know, I was probably of the similar mindset as Justin at that point. So I was very curious as to what he was feeling and thinking going into this because mm-hmm. I feel like whatever he was thinking would probably have been what I would have been thinking in 2003 as well. That's- well, I probably thought the code of honor was, let's face it, dumb. But other than that, I think I had as much of an open mind because also this probably it was like before WrestleMania 2004 buildup started. So I was probably in a very like 
unforgiving mood with the WWF at the time. Or, yeah, they're WWE now. So, yeah, it's not like I would be that opposed to someone going out and being good and delivering something that wasn't quite as obnoxious as a, a Shane McMahon-heavy TV product. Can you believe that? And putting him all over your television? <laughs> so, um, it was... It was not something I was going out of my way to watch, but I, I didn't want them to be destroyed by a volcano or anything. Is that fair? <laughs> Speaking of Joe. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I think that really answered my question better than I expected, so nice. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. Anything. And I, I should clarify, it's... though, I didn't live in Pittsburgh at the time. I've lived in Pittsburgh for the last um, 14 years, but I was going to college in about an hour and a half north of there. So we had to travel to come to this. So give us some, some even more okay. credit. Well, we find out be... later that someone traveled even farther than you. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, this show is in West Mifflin, which I don't think is far from Pittsburgh, but I have no idea what geography is. is so, it west? Like... Is it west of Pittsburgh? Um, no, it's west of Mifflin. Yeah. It's west of East Mifflin <laughs> and Central Mifflin, but it's to the east of uh, where I live, Matt, where you came and have seen me. It's where the amusement park that we almost went to once is at, and instead we went to a far away, better amusement park. So so Kennywood is in West Mifflin? Yes. Oh. <laughs> so Claim I to do fame think right there. <laughs> It is kind of wild, though, that um, even though we're, you know, after you just grilled Matt, I mean, grilled Justin about uh, Ouch. not watching, you know, like not be not. It's cool that we're getting a perspective from a great podcaster that hasn't seen a lot of Ring of Honor. Yes. But it's yeah, interesting. It's good to know what a completely ignorant person. <laughs> no, it's the fresh perspective. Yeah, it's a fresh yeah. perspective where we're fanboys, Justin. Ah, but OK. See what the, I'm uh, all the coordinating conjunctions right here. <laughs> But see, what I'm building up is the fact that Justin had actually seen, seen this show as it happened live. Mm -hmm. Me and Matt, until this episode of the podcast, have never seen this show. Oh, my gosh. So right. you actually had a 15-year head start on us. Mm. So Whoa. we're the posers. Well, that was, that was been, that's been known for a while. <laughs> uh, I don't even really watch the show. I just, I just guess a lot with these notes. That was my second choice for the name of the show, was We're the Posers. <laughs> C H I P M U N K. All right. It was all about how like we love to arrange action figures. Just like, do you like the left arm up? <laughs> do you like the right arm up? Uh, Wordplay. <laughs> Yay! But what is the left arm? Right? Is that a bushwhacker action figure doing <laughs> that? Or it would be that way. <laughs> <laughs> Why not a bushwhacker action figure? <laughs> they had them. They definitely yeah. had them. And I'm sure that if you move one arm down, that other arm was going up. Mm -hmm. I can't prove it, but it's my strong supposition. Yes. <laughs> so my uh, speaking of suppositions, uh, mm -hmm. that's my. This is more of a I deposition don't... so far, but yeah. <laughs> um, there's some great podcasts on the other than this podcast on the Place to Be Nation pro pro wrestling only podcast network. And every episode, I like to plug a specific episode of a specific podcast. This time, Matt, I'm going to plug something that's close to your heart, and that's an older show with an extensive backlog that does not do current episodes, as far as I know. And that's the Pro Wrestling Super Show, which hosted by Stephen Graham. Yay. And I'm going to list, there's an episode called Top Six Legacy Wrestlers with... And uh, it's Stephen Graham getting the oh. top six legacy wrestlers from a guy named Will and some guy named Matt Foy or 
something like that. That's yeah. what it says in the description. I don't know who that a- guy is, an but interesting I bet character, he'd be okay. I'm sure. So if people want to check that out, I mean, if you if you are like me and want your entire life soundtracked by the dulcet tones of Matt Feuerstein, calmly and soothingly um, discussing wrestling, I mean, if you can't get enough of just re-listening <laughs> to these shows, there is another dose right there, along with, he's done a few shows with Justin on thecubsfan.com. More than a couple, I would say. At least three, that means. That's why I'm so mean to Justin, because we're all buddies from way back. That's what I, That's how I like to describe us. Matt hazed me, and I have Stockholm Syndrome to this day. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's why I'm here, just doing what he told me. Do you want to hear my top six legacy wrestlers? Do Ooh, it. I know Number six, yes. Manu. Manu. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Okay. Uh, um, Sim Snooka. Mm. Number four. <laughs> Dusty, Dusty Rhodes in the one angle where he helped him and got punted. Number three. Ted DiBiase Jr. <laughs> number two would have to be Randy Orton. Yeah. And then number one, the nicest guy, everybody's favorite guy, Cody. That's his only name. The end. So compare your lists and we'll add them up and tabulate the points and we'll run it on uh, on the place to be. <laughs> uh, I, see, it depends on the com- uh, Matt, are you there? He started to say it depends on the context, and then I lost him. I feel Matt, like I, you, must have, I must have accidentally hit mute at that moment. But Yeah, you just dropped off for a sec. But it depends on the context. So we have to do – I, Hobbs, I think you know that on the place, the Pro Wrestling Only board, we have to do a whole rewatch project of Manu matches and, <laughs> and things like that. And we have to come up with like a system, a scoring system um, in order to actually accurately do this list. Yeah, it's the Manu system. It's M is for match quality, A is for athleticism, N is for need new, new. to watch more Manu. Um, That's better than what and I was And U say. is for understanding that your life is short and you're wasting your time. I love it. Legitimately. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's me being unnecessarily mean to like geeky projects that I actually love. So um, no, it's yeah. it's 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 loving teasing like I do to Justin. <laughs> there's nothing but hatred in your teasing, but mm. there's a little more than hatred in the show we are reviewing today: Ring of Honor's Retribution Round mm. Robin Challenge Two, which took place. April 26, 2003, in West Mifflin, PA, in front of a crowd of what is apparently about 300 people. So this would be their last show they would do in West Mifflin. They would just abandon it after this. And the little story behind this show is, originally, it was not supposed to be Round Robin Challenge 2. It was supposed to be AJ Styles and Amazing Red defending the Ring of Honor tag titles against Paul London and a mystery partner. And I guess a few days before the show, AJ Styles made it clear that, like, my knees hurt. I am going to have to pull off this show. And so Gabe booked it on the fly. He took Christopher Daniels out of his match on the show. He was supposed to wrestle Michael Shane. Instead, he made a one-night round-robin challenge. I recall Christopher Daniels in a shoot interview kind of saying, like, a funny thing where it was like, I sure was booked in an awful lot of, like, two match shows on these things. Like Gabe really got his money's worth from me in the early days where it seemed like 
Gabe was booking Christopher Daniels to work like at least twice a lot fairly early on in Ring of Honor. Yeah, this might be sort of the end of that whole thing, but the, yeah, the definitely, it's definitely a noticeable thing. He does wrestle twice a lot. Yeah. Red, Red kind of does too, now that you think about it. And we start off the show, actually, with Christopher Daniels. He's backstage with Allison Danger. And yes, it's finally Donovan Morgan, who has been off Ring of Honor shows for a long time. Um, Christopher Daniels notes that a lot has changed since the last time they wrestled in Pittsburgh, which became a show known as Revenge on the Prophecy, he notes. He says, um, you know, he goes through, they've lost a lot since then. They've lost their titles. Uh, Daniel says, now the prophecy are the hunters, though, and tonight is retribution, show name. Um, The titular line. (laughs) And (laughs) Daniel does that a few times tonight to really hammer home that, yes, this is going to be the name of the show. Morgan, Donovan Morgan is agitated because the last time he was in Ring of Honor, he was a tag champ. Now he isn't. This was his first first show in 2003, wasn't it? Yes, and... uh, he quote unquote apologizes for having a full time job <laughs> in pro wrestling. Noah Morgan says he only comes to Ring of Honor for the paycheck, and tonight he's going to win the pure wrestling four way. Daniel says he's going after the group. Steve Carino's uh, group says he's going to go after Samoa Joe and his title. No elaborate games. He's just going after it. And then he gets to a funny, well, quote unquote funny part. He mentions Steve Carino. And he says, you know, that Steve Carino started all of this and reminds us that Allison Danger, his sister, is here with the prophecy to add some fun to their lives and embarrass Carino time and time again. So he's like, Allison, give me an example. And she says when Steve was 14, his girlfriend left him because he was a chronic bedwetter. Allison Danger then says she doesn't think much has changed since then, including his taste in women. So um, I don't know if, if that refers to... Steve Carino still likes women that are repulsed by wet bedwetting or still likes girls that are 14 years old. Um, you you ah. decide for yourself, folks. He oh, said it, guys. He said it. <laughs> I'll pretend you said 18. Hey, yo. That was, that was, that was Trevor <laughs> Dane who said that phrase. For the yeah. Uh, um, Daniels then introduces the newest member of the prophecy, Dan Moff. Dan Moff is rocking the evil sunglasses and Kangle combo. Um, they, I'll, I'll note here, I, this might be the picture we end up using for the podcast. There's like a group shot of them and it is the weirdest group when you consider that's supposed to be like a goth themed group. And it's like Christopher Daniels just looking like Christopher Daniels holding his weird Egyptian amulet bracelet necklace thing. Then it's, um, Donovan Morgan looking like a trucker. And then it's Dan Moff in sunglasses and a Kangle. And then Alice in Danger just in the background. And it's the weirdest mishmash of, like, personal style I've ever seen in a wrestling stable. I've said this since the beginning. The, the prophecy was a bad stable because there was no thematic unity at all. Like, Christopher Daniels was, like, this cult leader. But then, like, he's just around a bunch of guys. Like, they're just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> and, um, and he also says at one point that he saved Moth from the streets. And I've been watching ROH for a year. Dan Moff was on all those shows, and I had no idea that he was homeless the entire time. That's that's really upsetting to find <laughs> out about. What was he like? What was, what was he getting paid in these wrestling promotions? And why mm-hmm. could why could they all the other wrestlers seem to afford homes, but but Moff couldn't? That's what I want to know. When they were doing these ring introductions, where did they say he came from? Nowhere. Bed Stuy, <laughs> do or die. die. Dan Moff. <laughs> 
Bedstuy, do or die. And and I, I do. I mean, if they said that they saved, he saved him from like the bus. Like they did spend <laughs> a, the, the hit squad did spend a lot of time on buses. Justin, you don't know about it, but I promise you, they did. <laughs> um, so. Yes, if you go back and listen to early shows, you can find out how much we quote we uh, were not enthused with their promos on buses and in front of buildings before shows. But you'll also get to see, I mean, those promos are worth watching, if only because you get to see Spanky just randomly in the background of a bus holding a bunch of Wendy's. So that was a good time. I, I tweeted to, to Spanky asking him. What was his Wendy's order? And he never mm-hmm. wrote back oh, to me. I guess I am still not big enough to get a response from Brian Kendrick about his Wendy's order. My theory. Think of all the, the GMO poisons that he doesn't want to admit that he put in his body. <laughs> My theory, he tried something different every time. Mm. I still think he's a nugget man. Mm. It's that, a value that, menu. That was Owen Hart. <laughs> <laughs> But not according to him. Um, no, but we all know it was true. <laughs> so, Guys, I, I'm, uh, you know, not as uh, informed about, like, some of the backstories and the just the breadth of knowledge that you guys have. So if you'll indulge me for occasional contextual questions. Sure. I just wondered, how did the bus get through the Wendy's drive-thru? It seems too big. Well, that was a, that was a long-established ROH um, storyline about buses mm-hmm. and how they got to Wendy's. And um, right. what I believe happened was they had the um, they, 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 they basically they basically rented out a Wendy's and made it like a uh, a car hop situation just for the ROH <laughs> yeah. DVDs. So people, mm-hmm. so Wendy's attendants on roller skates came out to give Brian Kendrick um, food, and then um, also uh, apparently the Hit Squad, you know, who were living on that bus at the time. Um, mm-hmm. He got them food too because he was a nice guy. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So to just finish the promo, um, <laughs> Math talks about being stuck in the mid card. Now he's not. He has an angel on his shoulder, which was a cute line. Uh, Moff tells Daniels if he needs a hit taken out, he's the man to do it. Daniel says he'll talk about it later. Daniel says he'll beat Red and Paul London tonight and Prophecy will get its retribution. I think if you made a counter of the number of times Christopher Daniel says retribution tonight, it's at least five. So he's really he's they knew what the title of the show was going to be, apparently. Hmm. Um, but one interesting thing I want to know, because you talked about how the card was reshuffled. Usually when ROH does that, they're very upfront about it on the DVDs. But this time the announcers kind of tried to hide that fact. Like there would be um, wrestlers in the in the pre-tape promos that would mention like Michael Shane's like oh my match got bumped and stuff, but then like if you um, like if you listen to the commentary they never mention it they're like oh Michael Shane isn't even supposed to be here he's not booked on the show like it's interesting that they they kind of avoided telling the truth about what happened on this card whereas that's usually not what they do. And it's weird because it was like the A. James match was a promoted match. It wasn't like a secret thing that you only know if you read newsletters. I think, you know, up till a few days before the show, I think it was in the plans. It was announced. ROH always had two continuities. They had the live event continuities of people who followed on the website, the live events. And then they had the DVD continuity. And sometimes they were different, which is weird, yeah. but it's true. So that brings us to the first match in the round robin challenge. Christopher Daniels, with Allison Danger at his side, defeats the Amazing Red via pinfall in 11 minutes, 10 seconds, after he pins Red when he hits the last rights. 
Um, Matt, what did you think about the match? Show Justin how it's done, how we do things on through the years. That is a lot of pressure. Well, first thing I noticed <laughs> was that it was a um, it was a really good crowd, in my opinion. Mention the crowd, got it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was I thought it was a really good crowd, like like noteworthily good. Um, they they started out with like doing like hot and heavy stuff, like it wasn't a lot of like feeling out process. They go right into like like the dives and uh, then. You know the, the crowd's definitely into red, and Daniels really tries to play full heel. Because I don't know if I, I think you probably agreed with me, like that in the recent shows he was sort of being positioned as like almost a baby face compared to Steve Carino. Yeah. And, and on this show, they totally flipped it, and when they went back to being the full heels in the situation, and he did a thing early where he was like throwing red into consecutive turnbuckles and he throws him into one then he throws him into the other then he asks the crowd to throw him into a third one and he, but and but then he's just like screw you and he just and he just snap mares him and kicks him so that was kind of a cool heel move um i did one thing i noticed was red's punches actually have been getting better like red did a lot hmm. more punches and they did not look bad at all they weren't like great but they did they did a lot better um Gabe went on his usual rant when Allison Danger choked uh, Red on the ropes. Like, you know, every, every show it has to be, oh, that's not what Ring of Honor is about. They don't respect the Code of Honor, the Code of Honor. There's no outside interference, even though there seem to be no consequences for their constant outside interference. Um, but that's how that happens. Uh, some of the big moves, um, Red goes for a top rope Rana, but Daniels blocks it and hits in, like an enzigiri with Red on the top rope. Um, Daniels hits like a, a rear cravat and grabs a sleeper and pulls Red's do-rag off. So Red is, like, wrestling without his do-rag for a lot of the match. There's some weird miscommunication spots where they're, like, meeting mid-ring. Um, but the crowd doesn't seem to notice it, and Gabe covers it by calling Red woozy. Um, <laughs> I caught that. But but the, it's, it's one of those rare situations on an indie show where there's a clear, like, miscommunication spot, and the crowd doesn't seem to care at all. Um, so a Red hits a 718, then a spin kick for two. Uh, STO takes Red down. Uh, the best mo- the best moonsault ever, which still was not called that yet, just a triple jump moonsault at the time. Uh, very close to, and the crowd really loved that. Um, Red hit a big like snap Rana off the top rope, like kind of a very quick Rana, and Daniels tried to block it. Um, Red went for a code Red, which went f- which got another really good near fall. Uh, Red got on top, but Daniels kicked him off into the kicked excuse me kicked him into the ropes. Kicked into the ropes, which knocked him off. Daniels hit the last right for a three, so a totally clean win by Daniels. Um, I thought it was fast-paced. It was fun. Um, there was some sloppiness that I thought took it down a little bit, so it wasn't like a great match. It wasn't. There wasn't really much of a story to it, but it was very entertaining, so I thought it was a, it was a solid opener. That's, a, that's what I'd say, like solid. Not special or great, but solid. Justin, uh, what do you agree or disagree, and be sure to talk about the crowd. Mm. Well, I certainly disagree with the part where my entire crowd was ignorant and oblivious. We knew what <laughs> was going on. Absolutely, we did. We picked. We were being polite, Matt. <laughs> it's not Shannon, what I. You, you didn't fuck up. No, I was compliment. <laughs> I was complimenting the crowd. It was a compliment. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, I have to admit, we vividly recall uh, arriving late for this match and only seeing the end of it. So, would it be more true to my? Recap, if I only addressed that part. 
Um, Go ahead. We came in at the end and saw saw Daniels win at the end. We're like, oh no! One of the like four matches we were actually um, excited about, we missed it. Why? Why was that first? Oh, because it makes sense. Is how you do a tournament that way. Touche. <laughs> um, Red was a known guy to me at that time because he was in some like famous by the standards of TNA moment where like Don West was standing on a table and cheerleading for him, right? Um, these are the half-remembered things I know. I don't even um, remember that. And I remember everything. He, <laughs> he was like, go, Red, go. Um, I Tell me if this counts, because this is one of my first memories from uh, walking in and sitting down. And then um, I know you guys have a running tally of violence against women. I assume it requires physical violence to count, and I assume it has to be done by one of the wrestlers. Submitted <laughs> oh, for your approval, however... <laughs> Within like two minutes of us coming to our seats, I didn't see myself on TV once. I was I was looking set. for you also, and I you know I, was, I don't I don't know where you sit. Sad, you do, but um, I look for me, and I look for my much taller associate, and I didn't see either of us. And all I remember is that um, uh, we were not in the bleachers, and I think we were cat a corner to Scott from Tough Enough. So he was like opposite of us, but I still couldn't locate myself in the physical space. Now, um, so we're there, and then Allison Danger, the woman managing Christopher Daniels, supporting him, faced the ring. Then she turned around, and what she said specifically, I don't remember, but the entire image is viscerally burned in my brain. Is she went and then she said something to the crowd, just like working, you know being a person, being a pro- professional wrestler, and then this like uh, 25-year-old man in the front row stood up and directly in her face shouted, shut the fuck up, bitch. And, uh, <laughs> and um, she flinched, as anyone would, but then she didn't sell it. And I was like, well, I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm uh, please go back to whatever you're doing and slapping the mat. So oh, if that doesn't count for misogyny against women, um, we'll get to the actual punches they do to them later. Oh, man. <laughs> well, misogyny, but I remember that. Ma- misogyny against women. Now that, that would be a running tally on any wrestling card up until probably very recently. <laughs> yeah. Granted. So, but that is a horrible story and I feel terrible that it happened. Yeah, so if you ask me, like, my three biggest memories from the show, one is that. Two is Scott from Tough Enough being there. And three is that Punk was good. <laughs> so, uh, Let's just wrap up the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is a true story, and I remember it so vividly. Just a man <laughs> screaming in this woman's face because he could, and she had to stand there. And he got to say it because she was a woman. So, ugh. Anyway, um, they don't do as many near falls back then as they do nowadays, do they, guys? No, That's it's... thing I noticed. Yeah. But, the, but there were a couple of good ones in this match, I will say. And they meant a little more because there weren't a lot of them. Um, I, I thought this was a good match, too. I, uh, I think from, like, listening to a lot of Christopher Daniels shoot interviews... And even just uh, the round, the first round of Robin Challenge, you know, me and Matt, you and me really like that uh, 
Daniels, Brian Danielson match from that show. I think Daniels puts a lot of thought when he's working more than one match. Like I've heard him talk about like giving enough without like, while still saving something for later. Right. And I think a match like this is like the right amount of, I think he's really good at matches like this where it's just enough where you're like, oh, this is a good match, but you don't feel like they've burned out the crowd or that they're going to be dead tired or can't top themselves. Uh, they were a bit sloppy, like you said, Matt, but I mean, it's red, red, you know, it's red giveth and red taketh awayeth. And, um, <laughs> there may be one too many two TH sounds in that sentence, but, um, I also watching this, I got struck by, I, I think listening, I, I, there's a shoot interview, a, uh, I think a ring of honor branded straight shooting interview for anyone that wants to peruse ebay for it but daniels very briefly talks about this match and he talks about how red's so fun to work because he's such a natural underdog and watching this match like daniels does a couple things i don't think he would do against almost anyone else like he kind of bullies red physically like at one point daniels even flexes his muscles and i and i was thinking if you're red how many matches do you wrestle like in your life where people like flex their muscles when you know they would never flex their <laughs> muscles in another match against anyone else, but you're just like, oh, because I'm short. Like you're finally taking this chance to be like, yeah, look how strong I am. And like, if I was red, I would have really bad self confidence issues because I feel like he's probably the guy that every five foot nine wrestler is like, yeah, for once I'm gonna get to be the big man and I'm gonna do a press slam and I'm gonna I'm gonna be mean and strong and just. Red, I mean, Red has to realize he's in that position, unfortunately. Of course, but yeah. I thought this was... I, oh, sorry. Go on. No need. I uh, just exhaled to start to say something, but it wasn't my time. Now it can be, though. I noticed the same thing in both of Red's matches. Um, I can only make analogies to like, <laughs> WWF events, but it, it reminded me a lot of whenever Punk or Chris Jericho would wrestle Rey Mysterio, and then they would be a big, strong bully man and do quebradoras and things like that. It's like, for once in their lives, they're going to throw this little piece of shit around. <laughs> um, something I didn't notice, another thing, the other little bit I gleaned from the shoot interview, and I wish I had listened to it before rather than as part of my research after I watched this show, is that Christopher Daniels says he lost his contact lens halfway through the match, passed it to Allison Danger, and was basically blind for the rest of the match. Boy, so, there's, there's been I, a lot of contact lens stories <laughs> in uh, recent ROH shows. And yeah, because Punk and Cabana apparently both lost their contacts in that tag match against Raven recently. Right. And um, my, so yeah, this is, a, again, I'm just trying to sum up. It's a good match, not great. Not much uh, of a story to it, but like, no. you know what I mean? But, but – you know, just like a good pace and good energy, and you know, it was worked in just very classic like wrestling psychology style. And I thought it had good momentum shifts. I thought when Red got on offense for a minute, he was like really running fast, and when Daniels got on offense, you could almost hear him think like, "God, kid, just like slow down." Like as in character, not out of character. Daniels has good cardio. Looking at my notes, the one note I haven't got to yet is it's just me. I have written down in my notes, Gabe can't stop saying Huna Karana. Like <laughs> I, I just wrote that down, I think, multiple times in these notes. Like he's done that for a lot of shows now, but I think this was the show where we reached critical Huna Kenrana mass. Like he could not stop saying that. And there were a lot of Huna Kenranas that happened on this show. Um, next up, we have 
Former Tough Enough 3 competitor Scott Chong is introduced to the crowd. He's the guest Now time- I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was introduced as the guest timekeeper. Um, Dave wrote in The Observer that we recovered this event. Daphne from WCW and Scott Chong from Tough Enough 3 debuted on this show. Both just showed up and were put in roles. Chong was really nervous and said to be exactly like his character on the show, and there probably isn't much they can do with him. And then Dave also described him as, um, he just wrote in brackets, the really immature guy. So that is how Scott Chong was remembered, Tough Enough 3 competitor, the really immature guy. That's crazy about the Daphne thing. I didn't know that because, like, she's not around a super lot, but she's definitely on a few shows after this and part of a major, major angle coming up. So, And she just, she just got that part because she just happened to pop in one day. I guess See, that's, that's, the thing. that's a good way to get a job, I guess. I don't know if Punk if if Dave is right on that one or not because uh, I've watched a Punk shoot interview for research and he talked about like he he didn't come out and like say exactly how she got into the company but he said it was he basically joked around said it was his idea that she's cool and he met her working IWA Mid South so I don't know if he just told her to show up or something because the quote from Dave that I read certainly makes it seem like. You know, that Ring of Honor told Dave, at least, that they had no plans for either of them, and they just both showed up, and they were like, okay, you can be just guest timekeeper, and you can... But I have to assume that with Daphne, like, Punk had to have had some role in that. So is Scott, like, from Pittsburgh? Like, why would he just happen to show up to this show? I think he was there for a Comic-Con or something like that. Oh, good timing. So they should have... All the Comic-Con crew should have showed up. Yes, the entire gang. Yeah. Right. Deadpool. <laughs> Imagine if Deadpool came to the show like, <laughs> saying it was fake. Oh, Deadpool. Yeah, I uh, Scott on Tough Enough was uh, he was one of the dumb people who were on Tough Enough. They were always like, when is this guy going to get it? And he didn't. But uh, <laughs> I ho- yeah, I hope they didn't mass transit him too bad when those mean guys beat him up. Yeah. They well- were so mad. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that later, but they were so mad. They said so many bad words in it. They yeah, were mad. We'll, we'll get to the rampant Scott Chong abuse in a little <laughs> bit later, but um, well, right now we'll get to the second match on the show, and that's the Second City Saints of Ace Steel and Colt Cabana defeating the hit squad Don, Dan Moff and Monster Mac with Allison Danger in 8 minutes, 12 seconds. When Colt Cabana pinned Mac after he and Ace Steel hit kind of a Colt 45 powerbomb like double team move on on him and this is the final um hit squad match in ring of honor and monster max final match in ring of honor matt well i'll I'll start this one first um i think me and i want to give you mad credit for this too because we were talking about this the other day and i think we both had basically the exact same thought which is it's kind of sad that this is the last Hit Squad match in Ring of Honor, and I would say as a pure, like, straight-ahead wrestling match, this was easily the best one they had, and it's the last one they get to do in the company. I thought this this was, like, not an incredible match, but it was entertaining for the eight minutes. I thought it had good action. Um, there's little bits of story in it where... Um, Moth is cheating a little bit because he's a member of the Prophecy now, and that's getting a little tension with Mac. They don't really play up that story much, but it's there. There's a good moment on commentary where um, the Hit Squad do their usual thing where they whip each other into a cannonball in the corner, but this time the move gets avoided, and Gabe on commentary says that's the first time that spot's ever missed. I don't know if Gabe's 
truthful on that or not. I don't have a good enough memory, but I thought that was a good way to emphasize that, like, the Hit Squad's relationship as friends is falling apart. And good action, I guess the only... for and it's only eight minutes, so my standards... I, I was expecting something epic. I think the only thing that w- left me a little disappointed... Well, not even that disappointed is... Like, it was supposed to be a win for the Second City Saints, but they kind of got, I feel, a little lost in the shuffle because this was really just basically, like, the Hit Squad story and the breakup story. But overall, good good action for eight minutes. Uh, Justin, as someone that had, like, no idea probably what this storyline was, what were your thoughts on this whole match and section? Um. Yes, I made note of when Gabe... Let us in on a big hint of that corner whip not working. It was like, I hope this doesn't mean that they're less good friends than they used to be. It's <laughs> like, oh, I guess you're right, sir. Um, this is my first chance to uh, hear any of his commentary, and um, uh, good job, I guess. <laughs> I was, I, uh, I was, I was saving this comment for later, but since you mentioned it, is as far as like the sample of his commentary, I thought this was one of his worst performances that we've oh. heard so far. Like, not that he's not that he's ever been great, but like, uh, this was a notably bad night for him. Interesting. Okay. Yes, because what I wrote down was that um, the announcers have all the quality of two mumbly dorks recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's that's complimentary. And, and almost. These are these, this this is a distinct upgrade on what Ring of Honor commentary was before they came in. Oh my God! Man. Yes. How about that? And uh, I mean, I, I noted some of the things they said in the future. We'll get to that when we get to that. Um, I didn't know who Colt Cabana was yet. I know that for sure because then in a year later, before SummerSlam 2004. Chris Benoit, the wrestler who died, had a 60-minute match on Raw with <laughs> Triple H, and the fans were chanting Colt Cabana. And I was like, why are they chanting that, Mike? And he was like, well, he did a 90-minute match or something like that. I was like, all right. And then from <laughs> then on, I knew who Colt Cabana was. But at this point in time, in, in 2003, I did not. Hobbs, do you remember what Colt Cabana's 90-minute match was? Because I don't. Uh, no, that would be Chris Hero and CM yeah, yeah. Punk. Yeah, Chris, Chris Hero. And, yeah, yeah, that match I know. So that's what I was like. And why do they chant Colt Cabana? Just because uh, you don't have to answer that, but that's okay. There's like that's a guy we know. Yeah, hmm. I, I definitely know the Punk Hero match. Uh, we could maybe review it one time as a supplement. But that, yeah, I, I, I hadn't heard about the 90 minute Cabana one. Well, you're probably right. They did say Colt Cabana though, because that's just definitely a more syllabic cadence to chant than uh, Christopher Hero. All right. Well, I, well, anyway, sorry, I wasn't trying to like. Mis- disprove you. I just thought there was a match I didn't know about and like was trying to find out what it was. Mm. Yeah, well, now harsh, I, I harsh really match. wonder why they were. But that is a, a true thing that happened. Um, and then he went on and made podcasts just like us, so we're colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> we're all the same. You and us and him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Matt, you want to have any thoughts on this match? Yeah, well, I, I, I actually liked it probably even more than you in the sense of like, like you said, it wasn't like a great, like, amazing wrestling match, but I thought, as far as storytelling, there was a lot of little nuances that I really liked. First of all, Moth, both in kayfabe terms, but also in, like, in actual terms, really seemed motivated. He was working his ass off, he was going fast, and, you know, all of his stuff looked really good, 
But Mac also looked good, and the announcers actually made a point of saying that Mac has something to prove also, because, like, you know, Moff was the one who was going on to bigger and better things with the, uh, with the uh, prophecy, prophecy, and Mac was just kind of being left in the dust, and so he was working really hard, and I think that's part of why the match was good, was because both of the hit squad were, like, looking really good uh, as far as their moves and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, there were little things like, you know, I like the fact that they didn't do the full, like, evil moth turn where he just destroys his old buddy. But he was still being, you know, a bit of a dick. He was, um, you know, when, when um, like, when he, t- he did a blind tag to Monster Mac and then he yelled at him to get out of the ring, stuff like that. And, you know, after the match when Mac took the fall, Moff threw a big tantrum. And I thought, like, oh, now he's going to attack Mac. But no, he just went to the back. And I thought that yeah. was a pretty cool change of pace. Um, I also just thought that Steel and Cabana looked good. Um, I thought that you know they did they did that whole like slap fight and forearm fight between Steel and Moff, and the crowd really liked that. Um, the one thing you know that was always a doofy thing for the Hit Squad was like uh, Monster Mac hit an orange crush on Cabana for a two count. And it's like it's weird to see them doing Kobashi finishers that you never <laughs> see as like mid match transition moves um, or high spots. At least when Moff would do the hot, would do the burning hammer, he would usually get a pin with it. Um, yeah. But it's it is obnoxious for those two guys to be doing those moves. I have to say. Um, but I guess Moff still did the burning hammer for a while after that. Um, but in general, it was pretty pretty good match. Um, I like the storytelling. Uh, Danger at the end says to Moff after he throws a tantrum, he's like, "You've got the prophecy. Screw him." Yeah, that's what calms him down. Yeah. Um. So this is Steve Mack's last match in Ring of Honor. And I wouldn't say I'm huge surprised because if you were like following show by show at the time, you could tell that the guy they had big hopes for was Dan Moff and not Steve Mack. But they gave him the promo at the end of the last show. I thought Steve, I thought Mack actually like was working really hard here, even though it might have been early in a match to pull out like a brutal-looking Orange Crush powerbomb. I thought it looked cool. I thought he was trying really hard. And there's something to be said for, like, it's a little depressing the way they wrote him out, where, like, think about what the story is. The story is Dan Moff used to be nearly as big as Steve Mack when they started Ring of Honor. And it's like, the story is like two fat friends, one friend loses a bunch of weight, like is a real jerk to his other friend, succeeds and other friend just drops off face of the earth. Like it's kind of like, this is it. Like there's no other explanation or story. We don't get any, we don't even get a singles blow off match. It's just like, I lost weight. I don't need it anymore. And the other guy's like, uh, guess yeah. I'll go work at Dan. He's like, yeah. it's done. And even, I think even meaner is what actually happens in ROH with a uh, monster Mac because he doesn't actually fully go away forever. Like he appears on other ROH shows later on, a couple years later, he's part of, homicides like posse like part of the rottweilers gang of thugs and he's just there and they never acknowledge like oh that's monster mac he was a major figure in our company for about a year like they just pretend like he's just a random guy and i'm like what the hell did this guy ever do to you that you're like treating him like such garbage but hey i guess that's the wrestling business for you they they use (laughs) you they abuse you and they just throw you out I'm not, I'm not saying that Steve Mack or Monster Mack, whatever we're going to call him now in this post-Hit Squad world, but I'm not, I'm not saying that he would have definitely been a success if they had tried pushing him at any level in Ring of Honor after this, but I'm saying when you look at some of the guys they're going to give tryouts to, I mean, 
they could have at least to try and given him a little bit of something after this, and at least see how it would have take, you know, taken. But if he's going to appear on like, your shows, at least mention who he is. Yeah, um, but like you said, wrestling is harsh and horrific, and it's all the things the book Ring of Hell taught us. They were Matt. It's just <laughs> ugh, disgusting. Well, that's what that's what our podcast is meant to represent. Just how harsh and horrific <laughs> wrestling is. So your experience listening to this is the same as if you were trying to make it in the pro wrestling industry. I'm actually very smooth apart from the show, but I'm meaning to make you suffer by how awkward I am here. That's exactly what it is. So, you got any good rib stories? <laughs> um, well, any memorable did, did hear, ribs? Did, did you hear about, did you hear about um, Marilyn Manson, what he did with his ribs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> one, of the better rib, one of the better rib stories. <laughs> Do you think that made that... Um, when that giant like set from his concert fell and crushed him a few months ago, that made it worse that he had oh, less protection from his ribs. ribs. <laughs> <laughs> All of his internal organs were exposed. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, the ones at the bottom, I guess. That make so clear <laughs> pelvis bone. Mm-hmm. I checked uh, with a source, and I am corrected. They were chanting for Colt Cabana because he did work for the Pittsburgh-based IWC, but they were also uh, chanting. At the same time, or not simultaneously, but during the same match for Punk and Hero. Bro. Gotcha. So I conflated my memories. Sorry. You were still mostly right. Yeah, that was your, your very, basic very facts. Right. We're very totally right. on. You got it, Bo. So, our next little segment we get between matches is Dunn and Marcos are there before the show helping to set up the ring. They tell the camera guy that they're Dunn and Marcos and they're going to rock tonight's tag team scramble like a hurricane. <laughs> Gabe tells and they said it again. <laughs> that was their catchphrase. Um, Gabe tells them it's a wrap and Marcos says something like, we'll do anything for you, camera guy, which I thought was cute. He gives them a high fives. Um, the camera then pans to the Elcast Killers, the other people that set up the rings, and they want promo time of their own. Gabe tells them he's got to go do something else and tape other promos, which pisses the Killers off. Diablos thinks they don't get promos because they don't have a catchphrase and says they do now, though. Quote, I'm Diablo, this is Oman Tortuga, and we're the top tag team in Ring of Honor, and we're going to party like it's your birthday, unquote. Tortuga corrects him and tells him that's not how they say it. They say it's we're going to rock you like a hurricane. Tortuga cuts a fiery little promo about how they've been paying their dues, reminds that they stood up to the SAT in Boston and the Carnage crew on the last show in Philly, and both times got knocked down but got right back up again. Tortuga says he's done with this bull crap, quote unquote. I thought it was funny he couldn't say bullshit, <laughs> and that the killers are done paying their dues. The camera pans back to Dunn and Marcos, who are laughing at them. So this is a noteworthy. No this is a noteworthy promo, because I have never, I cannot recall another promo where Dunn and Marcos say things that are not their catchphrases. <laughs> but in this promo, they were like, "Oh, we'll do anything for you, cameraman." One of them says, oh, "Who are they kidding?" When, um, when the Outcast Killers do a promo, like these are words that humans say, and. <laughs> Norm- normally Dunn says nothing and Marcos is like a robot who just repeats catchphrases so I thought this was a memorable promo and it works because they were um, you know this is like also I think a sign of their growing cult status where now it's like 
they are above literally one team on the Ring of Honor totem pole. And like this, this segment's like making a joke out of it. Like, haha, like look at Dunn and Marcos. Even they are like finally above somebody. And we get to see them flying above people literally with wrestling moves in the next match, which is a tag team scramble. The SAT of Joel and Jose Maximo defeat Easy Money and Sterling James Keenan. And they also defeat Special K of Brian XL and Hydro. Scored to the ring by Slugga. And they also defeat the Ring Crew Express of Don and Marcos in 9 minutes, 14 seconds when, they, when the SAT pinned Don after hitting the Spanish fly. Um, Matt, this is our first exposure in Ring of Honor of... The current Adam Graves, Sterling James what? Keenan. <laughs> Corey, Corey, Corey. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, Wasn't that a guy from the message board? I don't no, know. A guy huh? from the Rangers. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Duh. God, I am, I am so Canadian. I am so sorry. I should have known <laughs> that. I grew up with that Rangers team. <laughs> God, I hate that team. Anyway, um, Matt. Oh, yeah. Did you like this That's team right. more oh, no. or less than the 1994 New York Rangers? Yes, that was the same team that... Never mind. Um, oh, no. Uh, this is finally our, our true uh, conflict, source of conflict will come to fruition on this very show. Don't, I call on Hobbs to disavow the Russian rocket Pavel Bure due to Pavel all collusion on all those goals. Pavel Bure is good, but almost as good is his little brother Valerie Bure. Favorite trivia know that. They called Pavel Bure the Russian rocket. They called his little brother the pocket rocket. Mm. So... That was a real thing kids were allowed to say. See, you, know, anyway. you, 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 listen to through, you listen to through the years and you learn a thing or two. Pretty cool. Um, all right. Um, Valerie also, um, now Pavel may have been with Anna Korenkova, right? But Valerie Bure pulled Candace Cameron Bure of Fuller House. Still going strong in a loving relationship between them and God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, this is, I am learning so much. I didn't. I, this is this is great. Um, all right. Uh, so you want me to talk about this match? Is that the whole deal? Uh, I guess you can. All right. So first of all, Gabe is very anti toughen up. Uh, he was talking yeah. about tough enough. He just hates it. He's these like, guys, these tough enough guys, this isn't the way. They're not living in a mansion. Uh, they're being tough. They're on a bus. <laughs> yeah, they're on a bus. They're getting car hops. They uh, they don't they they pay their dues. Not like these tough enough guys. It's you know it's. In retrospect, it's like you really realize just how totally dorky it was to take this whole like we're the real wrestling pose. Like, I got I get it as branding in two thousand and two and two thousand three, but it just seems so corny now. I, the I, level of uh, hindsight pandering to me felt so transparent because he made sure to say, "Hey, Al Snow's a cool guy. Like Al Snow's <laughs> a good worker, but this tough enough thing. Give me a break." Yeah, <laughs> it really was all like this—the worst, like super self-serious wrestling dork stuff from the time. <laughs> um, but they had good wrestlers. Um, so first of all, I did not realize that Brian XL was still in ROH at this point. Like I, it's like I thought he was gone a long time ago, but he's still going strong somehow in matches in. April of 2003. I thought when he left the first time, that would be pretty much be it for him. So I was impressed, and he actually did pretty well. He was he was in a lot of this match. Like this was very Brian XL heavy. I was very surprised by it. Um, Keenan, uh, or not Adam Graves, uh, does a lot of um, does a lot does does excuse me does the opposite of a lot. He does a little in this match. Uh, I noted that there was a dive onto Jose <gasps> Maximo that he did. Um, but really, not a lot of uh, Sterling James Keenan in the match. Um, 
I literally looking at my notes. I I wrote like, did he do more than two moves? I think he did like a, I think a dragon suplex and a dive. And literally, I don't think the camera caught him doing like another wrestling move in this his debut in Ring of Honor. Yeah, and I wonder like what what the deal was. Like I wonder if it was like they were like you're gonna be in this scramble match because we need somebody. And he was like, I can't. This is not a match I feel comfortable in. And they were like, just stand there. They'll be fine. We got you. Just <laughs> just just stand there. Do a dive. You're good. Um. That's the only thing, I and can he think is of. from Pittsburgh, you know, right? Well, that's, yeah, yeah he, so that's why they booked him, right? Because he's a he's a big part of what the IWC, right, at the time. Yeah, the, the as Justin mentioned earlier, the Colt Cabana's IWC. Yeah, that's uh, Sterling James Keenan was a mainstay there, so I assume that's like a big reason why he even got this shot here. Justin, do you ever get out to an IWC show? Nope, sorry. No. They booked Matt Hardy in between being fired from WWF in two thousand five. Or why I keep trying to like fix the F. For when it's not necessary. Get the uh, F out. I know. <laughs> that stick with me. Um, they booked Matt Hardy when he was coming off his mid-termination in uh, 2005. And I was going to go. And then for some reason, I didn't. Good story, right? I uh, He wrestled AJ Styles, actually, at that, at that show. I have that DVD. And that's a really good match, actually. So you blew it. But anyway. I really did. Yeah. Um, so, um, that's all right. I could see them wrestle like on Monday. That's true. Um, um, Brian, XL. or at survivor series, the only show where SmackDown can wrestle Rob, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, um, I don't know if you noticed, like Brian XL, his outfit really reminded me of the hurricane. Like it was green and it was like a full body outfit, but anyway, not really important. Or, right? or as Gabe would call him the hoonicane. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, did you notice there was this part where the Ring Crew Express were up for like a stage dive? And Marco started to slip. So they cut away from him and focused on Dunn, who clearly did like a really over-the-top like fake slip. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And, yeah, and I almost wonder if like Dunn was like very sweetly like slipping to cover <laughs> for Marco. So, like this was a planned spot. We were both slipping and that's the whole thing. Like that's how I felt. That's what I felt was happening. And I thought it was it was, it was adorbs. Um, yeah, that was such a weird moment because it was like – this match, I mean, we've seen the last couple shows that the Ring Crew Express are getting, like, really over as a cult act. Like, this was, like, their big moment. I think one of the first times they really teased the stage dive. It was such a weird moment where, like, they tease it, the crowd's into it, they're on, you know, the opposite turnbuckles, and then they both just screw it up and don't do it. Yeah. Um, Cartoonishly windmilled his arms like a cartoon cat who was like walking out on a telephone pole and then a breeze started to knock him over and then he held up a sign that said help pointing at himself question mark and then he fell literally all <laughs> those things happened um mm-hmm. so uh brian xl he dove right into the crowd which looked pretty scary for everyone involved um it said it said special the, the announcer said special k is looking forward to the rave after the show so justin i want to ask you what was the rave what, was awesome yes yeah, what was west <laughs> what was west Fifland's rave mm-hmm. scene like in 2003 cuz i'm not well so me and the boys after the show <laughs> we all put to, uh, like we had a code it was like neon yellow on your hands and you show out the door it's uh, this is West First Street in Homestead near West Mifflin, and then you go in. It's like a two-story house, and then there's like a basement, and then it's just like one guy turning the lights off and on. It's awesome. <laughs> and also a bunch of independent wrestlers. Um, mm-hmm. So um, Brian, I should have joined Special K. I thought about it, but I still had to pursue my education at the time. I didn't want to go off with them forever. Well, 
Well, you know, the Lost Boys. If you noticed um, from the commentary, and Hobbs and I, or Trevor and I, I'm sorry, um, find this out literally every uh, month. But Special <laughs> K, they're not the guys you want to hang out with. They just live off their parents' money. They don't take anything <laughs> seriously. They don't have any respect. They just want to party and do drugs and get high. And so, you know, it's probably good that you stayed away from them because you know you're a hard worker and you don't do that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so, um, but one of these guys, Brian XL, he gave a spin kick. Um, to Marcos, which is on the top rope. He went for a top rope fallaway slam, um, but money put him on his shoulders. And so XL was holding, um, holding Marcos like in like the fallaway slam position while XL was on Easy Money's shoulders. And then I thought that like, um, Easy Money was going to do like an electric chair, but instead he just like tossed them backwards, like upside down over his shoulders, kind of like made them do a flip bump. While they were like, while XL was holding Marcos, and the crowd really loved that. Like the crowd was like, "Whoa, that was cool!" And I actually thought it was cool too. I thought that was a cool that was move. one of the one of the craziest things I think we've seen so far. Like in just individual spots where, yeah, he basically forces Brian XL to moonsault while holding a human being. And if you watch like the like on if you kind of slow motion, you realize like when I'm looking at how XL like Brian XL is rotating. It could have gone a lot worse. Like they're kind of lucky that someone didn't get hurt on that, but it was crazy. Yeah, I agree. Suddenly, Angel Dust is in the match for some reason, and I guess that's sort of like the the gimmick, right? That it's scramble. There's no rules. Special K's just doing whatever they want. So Angel Dust he hits a top rope like blockbuster onto Easy Money, and then Keenan hits a dragon suplex on him, which I guess was his second move. Um, yeah. And then Hydro is finally back, and Hydro was like knocked out like way earlier, and like I was like, is he like hurt? Like I, I actually wondered, like is Hydro like hurt because he was gone for a long time? Brian XL was doing everything, but he was back, and um, Marcos hit like a cool swinging ne- neck breaker on him using like his arms. It was kind of hard to explain. Like he pull, he had his arms like out to each side and just like did the neck swinging neck breaker holding the arms. Um, so I thought that was cool. Then uh, big moment. Joel hit five no-release power bombs on Marcos, and then almost did like on a, the sixth one, like almost like a Gonzo bomb, like a very short power bomb where he dropped him on his head. And what debuted in that moment? Dangerous. <laughs> he didn't quite scream it loud enough. We'll get what I will consider the official first ever Gabe utterance of "dangerous" a little bit later. Well, a fair bit later in the show, but. Yeah, this is today. This is the first show where twice he shouts "dangerous" with extra inflection. So, Justin, if you don't know, that's his version yeah. of "Oh my god." Um, mm-hmm. It's like the super dork version of it, and the yep. and "Oh my god" was kind of dorky too. So, you know that it's special. Um, so, uh, so then uh, Brainbuster undone by Jose. Jose's sort of like on fire with like the hard hitting moves here. Then Easy Money's in. He hits a cha-ching on XL and Angel Dust. It's like a double cha-ching, which, in case you don't know, is where he gets both guys up for like a vertical suplex position, but then releases them, sort of like flipping them forward onto their backs. Um, but Dunn broke up that pin. But that was a really cool move. Easy Money's good in these matches. Like this is this is his uh, his zone, which even the announcers say like Money has found his spot in these matches. Um, <laughs> he dove onto the floor and Special K hit hit a Spanish fly. Oh, excuse me. Um, the excuse me, um, the SAT hit a Spanish fly on Dunn for the pin. Jose, I thought was hurt for a second because after he hit the Spanish fly, I mean, as, after he hit the Spanish fly, it made he made it look like his his arm was really hurt, but then it just it looked like everything was fine. So it looked like he was just selling. Uh, during the match, Anti Slugger was in the crowd, uh, 
the big guy who's dressed like Slugger. And so as Slugger is coming in to take out Joel, Anti-Slugger comes into the ring. Uh, he goes to Hydro, but Slugger gets, uh, but gets, Slugger gets in its face to sort of save Hydro. Then Anti-Slugger powerbomb chokeslams Hydro. And then Angel Dust kicks Anti-Slugger, and Slugger hits a powerbomb on him. So I don't know if that's the blow-off of the Anti-Slugger angle, but it was... Um, I don't know. I guess it was something. It was some sort of ex- ex- uh, escalation of the angle. As far as the match, I thought it was sloppy but entertaining as always. You know, there are definitely a lot of cool moves in these matches. Like, you can't, you can't say there aren't. These moves still seem really cool 15 years later. It's just a wild mess of chaos, a lot of sloppiness, but they're, not, they're definitely entertaining. Uh, Justin, uh, what did you think? Yeah, this was your first scramble match. I'd be very curious to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, while watching, I was probably like, you guys, learn how to work. Um, it's, the Spanish Fly is a crazy, crazy move. Still to this day, it's scary and it's bad. And they shouldn't but, do it. But, it's, but, it's, but isn't it really impressive that they can time it so yes. well? Uh-huh. It was astounding. It's something I'm surprised, unless I'm just missing out by not paying attention and there is a giant um, market that's happening unbeknownst to me with Spanish flies happening across the world, but they, like, no one, are people doing a variation on that now? Like um, a worse people, Spanish Matt, fly? Matt, Matt Seidel does like a one-man version of it, but that's not as impressive, obviously, because mm-hmm. the coordination is part of what like makes it crazy. Yeah, there's a few guys on the Indies that will do the one-man variation. Sometimes they'll even do it instead of off the turnbuckles, just like standing, like let's flip together, one-man Spanish fly, but mm-hmm. I, it's pretty so, rare. That's, I think the, that's that, the name of my new album, by the way. <laughs> Let's flip together. Yeah. Um, Play to that rave. <laughs> it's got to be on cassette only. Because <laughs> um, I, I figure, like, some of the Meltzer Driver 91s are heading to that territory at some point, but maybe they have pushed that as far as they can go. But yeah, but a, yeah. Lot of the, a lot of the moves in these matches still seem crazy to this day. Like, it's not like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not like high fly. I mean, like the smoothness of the flyers, I think, has increased. But the actual like ingenuity and craziness of the moves, I don't think has. Yeah, that yeah. sounds correct to me from my uninformed perch. <laughs> uh, me and Matt, I think we're getting to the point in watching these scrambles where, like, the first few scrambles we watched in Ring of Honor before they even really called them scrambles were pretty not good. Like, but. I feel like I enjoyed this, just like Matt said. Like I, his, my thoughts are basically what his thoughts were. I feel like they've gotten to the point now where they're always, almost always, consistently like just mindless fun now. Like they're not great wrestling matches, but like it's almost notable now when they're like not at least entertaining. And I feel like this was just like they're all running, starting to run together, but they're all like consistently just quick guys doing crazy spots there's not much of a story or any rhyme or reason to things you know crazy things happen and then it's over you're not gonna be bored watching these matches no i mean honestly at this point like i just take for granted it's gonna be a fun little moment the only thing that really set this one apart was just how verbally abusive as like you guys have already mentioned that gabe was to uh scott chong during on commentary during this match, he uh, at one point refers to Scott Chong as quote the guy who peed himself on tough enough. So like again, Scott Chong between Dave and describing him as the guy that everyone d- didn't with no confidence or whatever he described him as, and now the guy who peed himself. Like I felt bad watching this because as Justin was saying, they were really going in on Scott Chong. It's like then why'd you make him guest timekeeper then? Just 
like well, it just felt like such a bully thing where yeah. you invite him in, you like get, have him like wave to the crowd and introduce him, and then the commentary just spends so much time like shitting unrelentlessly on this guy, and we'll see him get beat up a little bit later. But um, when when Paul Heyman double crossed people like that in ECW, at least they were either a an Olympic gold medalist or b got to have sex with Missy Hyatt. <laughs> Well, I mean, Scott Chung could have had sex with Missy Hyatt. I mean, odds are, like, the three of us doing podcasts, statistical odds are at least one of us has had sex with Missy Hyatt. Just, mm, and are these jokes good anymore? Yeah, I do not accept this kind of humor. This is not – this is <laughs> so t- – get, get, get back to – go back to 2003 where you came from. <laughs> Boy, when we get to that Alexis Lurie match, uh, we'll continue on this subject, but um, – there is nothing yeah, wrong with being promiscuous yeah, yeah, and sex positive. I'll have you guys know you will not shame right, me right, for my right. incredible show. So I want to. So What's you're so 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 so, I, so you sex? need you need to make clear then that <laughs> yeah. what you were doing right there was complimenting Missy Hyatt. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, for being desirable. She has well, lived and, her and, life and and just you know being her own person. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. a free living, cool person. She seems with it on Twitter, like cool. Guys, sex feels good. Why shouldn't you <laughs> want to do it? I, I, I don't know. I host a wrestling podcast, so I have no idea what you're talking about. But <laughs> Now, when you used the word uh, verbal three or four minutes ago, Trevor, I want to say SAT verbal, but I had no way to get there. So <laughs> You just got there. I'm glad I brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> so the other one was SAT math. Am I right? <laughs> but anyway... Um, yeah, hashtag time's up. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, not much else to say about this. Um, like Matt said, um, s- uh, after there was the whole thing, Matt described the slugger and anti-slugger confrontation that ends with a slugger getting to do a choke bomb variation on anti-slugger. Uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention quick is before the match, um, Dun and Marcos did that usual thing where... They're giving high fives, and they high five Scott Chong, and then there's the big burly um, denim jacket wearing headband. Um, Dun and Marco super fan of the crowd that seems to be following them to every show, and I'll note that Laney, the poster from Pro Wrestling Only, wrote a great post correcting us on a couple things, and one thing he mentioned was at the time of this he was reading the Ring of Honor message board, and apparently from reading that he learned that this was not in fact a real Dun and Marco super fan, but a person who worked like the tables for RF Video, who they would. Just just dress up and have pose as their super fan. So that broke my heart that there's not a real Dun and Marco super fan that looks like that and does that. But it must mm-hmm. be said. And thank you for the correction. We always appreciate corrections. Um, that was tragic, but we have to go on the next segment. May, may I I'll ask s- you another contextual question before I forget later? Sure. Um, Cause I didn't write it down what happened. So you've explained me who plants are. The Dun and Marco's party dude is a plant anti slugger. Of course, the plant came in and did moves. What about, was it a Michael Shane fan or one of the later matches where the commentary pointed out that a woman came from Japan to watch him? Was that somebody? Yeah, so we, so that, I, I can't wait to find that out, but that was another common thing that I was planning on talking about later on in the show. Okay, then yeah, we won't forget it. Yeah, yeah Matt, Matt will make sure we don't forget because I know Matt is looking forward to discussing that. Yeah. Um, 
the next segment would be well, not even much of a segment. Before the next match, some random dude. And speaking of plants, this was I don't know if this guy was actually ever did anything like I, I didn't recognize him, but just some random dude gets in the ring after CM Punk gets in the ring for the next match. Um, he does some poses and sits in the corner like Raven basically acts Raven mannerisms. Um, then Lucy who Gabe t- reminds us is Daphne from WCW comes in. This, she makes her ring of honor debut here, attacks the guy, lays him all out with a DDT punk gets on the mic CM Punk, that is, and uh, says, we just saw the first shot in a war that will be settled in the coming months. Punk says he expected that little hobgoblin Trinity to come out again, so we stayed one step ahead by recruiting the newest Second City Saint, Lucy, and I'll just, I wrote my notes, as always, Gabe knows one way to book women, which is just as a sidekick to beat up someone else's female sidekick. Um... Punk tells us he's straight edge and better than us before Homicide comes out with Julius Smokes, leading to a match for the number Ring of Honor's number one contendership trophy. Homicide with Julius Smokes defeats CM Punk with Lucy in 15 minutes, 27 seconds with an STF. Via submission, that is, if I forgot to say that, I don't even remember. Um, I thought this was a match that... I thought this was a really sloppy match but a good match because they were trying really hard. I think this is one of those matches where you watch it and you, you think to yourself, like if these guys had another match, even a year or two later, it would be, and they probably have, it would be completely different from this because this felt like a match. Literally one year later they had one. Yeah. yeah, So this felt like a match of two guys that weren't confident. Like, I mean that in the sense of, like they were rushing and obviously a lot of wrestling, especially indie wrestling is like trying to do everything you can as fast as you can. But this didn't feel like they were just like trying to set our speed record. This felt like they were worried that if they stopped doing stuff for a second, the crowd would boo, which they weren't going to. But like this just felt like they were like there wasn't a lot of um, polish to how they were doing everything. It was just like, there would be moments where big near falls would happen. And you could tell that if they just laid on the ground for a few more seconds, they could milk it for a bigger reaction. But instead they would get up almost immediately. And then other guy would be on offense within seconds. Like they were just rushing this in, not like a good frenetic way, but just were just anxious to try and have a really good match. And what we think is a good match is doing everything we can as quickly as we can. But I'll say that I think that effort won out. Like, I wouldn't call this, like, even a very good match, but I think even with the sloppiness, even with the everything else, I think it was good just because they did work really hard. They did do pretty much all their big spots except the cop killer, which was teased. Um, Yeah, I thought this was was a good match. We can get into a bit more in a second about why maybe certain specific moments, but, like, Matt, what did you think? I pretty much wrote the exact same thing as you, which was it was in some ways a sloppily laid out match, but it had a good energy and good heat. So overall, I thought it was, you know, solid. Um, But yeah, it was like a lot of just like boom, 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 let's do everything. Um, Punk, I couldn't believe that Punk hit the first ever Pepsi plunge in ROH and Homicide kicked out of it. Did you remember that that happened? Because I sure didn't. I guess you never saw it, so you would not have remembered. Yeah, we we never saw the show. (laughs) Justin, did you remember? But I... Yes, because I was like, they kicked out of a top rope pedigree, and then someone was like, that's his finisher, actually. And I was like, which, oh. ma- which makes it even more ridiculous. 
Um, but so that after that, like homicides do in Death Valley Drivers, uh, or kick out of Death Valley Drivers, uh, does he? Homicide does like a scoop slam driver where he picks him up and just like drops him head first onto the ground. It's like, all right, enough of this shit, man. Um, they, um, it's it, one funny moment on commentary was uh, Homicide going for the cop killer. He's like, he's going for the cop killer, which we can't even call it the cop killer because his probation officer won't let us call it the cop killer. <laughs> but he, you know, he's going for that whatever. It's not the cop killer. It's like, all right, so. Are you following like not the spirit of the not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law in this? Because I um I imagine it's just that's a made up thing about the cop killer because he said it like seventy five times in the match. Yeah, when saying it, he couldn't yeah. say it. It was like a hilarious game moment where he says that like we can't call it the cop killer because the probation officer, the probation officer he says has been watching Ring of Honor tapes and um like seconds at, like literally like maybe two seconds after he says that they can't say that he's like CM Punk reverses the cop killer and he goes oh I can't say that like like it's another classic Gabe moment where he catches himself but he still makes the mistake which I thought was funny. Um, that, that probation officer probably got to write off Ring of Honor DVDs on his taxes. So that's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, as we know, I'm sure that uh, you know all of our professional... We should be able to do that, right? But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I get to write off this $8 um, like uh, pop screen I bought from Amazon. So that's really going to make a big difference. Awesome. Um, but the other Gabe thing, like, and this is honestly the most noteworthy thing in the match to me, was how gross Gabe was about Lucy. It's like, just like, Immediately, he likes goth chicks. Oh, I like those goth chicks, and uh, and of course, uh, Doug was like, uh, "I'm okay." And then he's like, did, "Did I mention I like those goth chicks?" And and it's like, it's pretty like sad when Paul Heyman's ECW treated women with more respect than your promotion does. But I would say it's definitely the case because at least those those women had like. They were they were basically treated like human beings with three dimensional characters. At least some of them were. Um, at this point, ROH. They just is... wanted to dance atop the ECW arena. <laughs> yeah, they had desires. They ECW passes the Bechtel test. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I, I don't think it does. Um, but, <laughs> but ROH definitely doesn't because they don't even have women talk. So. Um... Yeah, Joey Styles certainly wasn't as thirsty as I, as the kids would say, <laughs> as Gabe Sapolsky was on commentary in two thousand three. Where I feel I have a lot more to say about this, but I will save it for the women's match. Um, okay. But as far as the match itself, yeah, just like they went a little bit nuts with some of these. Like this was this was a very like stereotypical two thousand three indie match, like indie big moves match where they're like doing all these head drops, and kicking out of them. Um, and in that sense, it's kind of unfortunate. But in the other sense, like you did say, it, definitely the energy was there. They were trying very hard. The crowd was into it. So the entertainment value was good. The guys both had presence. And, you know, last month, Homicide really had a shitty match with Christopher Daniels. And so I think this was definitely not that. This was a, this was a good match. And probably Punk's most, most noteworthy, like, in-ring performance, you know, the Raven first Raven match I thought was noteworthy for like his character work and stuff, but probably his most noteworthy in match in ring performance in ROH so far. So I'd say overall a thumbs up, but problematic. Justin, you said that one of your three takeaways from the show at the time was that CM Punk guy was impressive. Like watching it back now, um, does does it hold up or like what are your memories kind of like how are they connecting with what you see now? Yeah, well, whatever. It's instincts I had or like confirmation bias confirmed 
because then he went on to be super successful yeah. and was signed by WWF within... Why do I do that? Guys, you confuse me. <laughs> the World Wrestling Entertainment Comment Incorporated. Uh, and it, in like 2005, like just a little over two years from now. Um, I asked Mike, my roommate from college who went to the show with me, what do you remember for the show? And he said the two things I remember were getting there late and Punk having a superstar presence. And I said that's what I remember too. That and Scott from Tough Enough pissing and crapping all over himself. Um, I, I this, a lot of this um, must have not made the DVD then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, was, to be honest, like legitimately happy to see CM Punk again. I was like, hey, it's my old friend CM Punk from the good times. Um, <laughs> Punk's public persona. <laughs> certainly kind of like a sanctimonious person and a cranky person that has caused a, a lot of the people who should have loved everything he did to sort of push it back on him in the opposite direction. So it's easy to forget, like, and it's probably something you guys are going to be talking about as you do this podcast over the like next two years of shows. The guy is awesome, and um, he's really good at talking, and he, like, willed his mediocre athleticism into having like really good matches and he let fuel this extraordinarily successful career based on just like willpower and spite and he's a pretty remarkable guy and i was i was happy to see him again here and how did you feel about his in-ring performance um i'm pretty numb to all wrestling as far as knowing what's good or not so (laughs) i I, I, the nuances of it um unless you're johnny gargano versus cn almost i can't really tell whether things are good anymore (laughs) because there's just so much empty exchange of moves on the two shows on monday and tuesday that I, i just when you guys Gave me homework to watch a two-hour and forty-five-minute wrestling show. I was like, "My God, all right, fine." But, um, <laughs> so it, it was more like I was happy to see this guy homicide. Also, a person I I know. Um, but as we talked about earlier, Paul London was certainly the best wrestleman of the show. Um, with Punk, it was more like nostalgia for that night when we were like, "Whoa, that's good." Nostalgia for the show you and me, Matt, went to two years later when he was almost finishing up. Um, and told us to clap for Roderick Strong. And then all the good times I had with Punk over the his whole WWE career. So it was just nice to check in with him from the past. A fair point. Um, and I thought it was funny among the dorky commentary beyond the goth girl. Goth girl. I like goth girls. <laughs> Stuff. Chicks, he, he said, made... which makes it even worse, but yeah. Oh, goth chicks, you're right. Yeah. Um, there was also something like, CM Punk, he probably doesn't think you're cool if you smoke a bowl or drink a beer, bro. I, mean, I think that's cool. That's what I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know talk- if it was... He, yeah, and it, the, it was the, some... The, Go ahead. No, he, he says that exact thing like on a lot of shows. <laughs> um, he, 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 like, Gabe has his own like weird like shtick that he does for each wrestler. That I guess the idea is like you know these DVDs are watched by new people all the time, so you have to like really dumb it down for everybody, but... Man, it could be annoying. <laughs> is smokable the lame euphemism he used? It was something like that, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's what it was. Okay. We've talked before on the show, like the weird, like 
juxtaposition that Gabe creates for himself where some matches where he has to call special K, he'll be like, look at these kids just doing their drugs and going to their raves. And then he'll call a punk match next. And he'll be like, punk doesn't want you to smoke a bull and drink a beer. Like, what a st- like, like, like it just goes back and forth. And it seems so weird. Who is like, the real Chris Levy? Yeah, it's like question. it's like Matt said. Like he has this weird stick that go like well, not even weird sometimes, but just like cool. he has a set point he wants to get across for each wrestler, and sometimes those points, at least with this, go completely against each other. But um, uh, and also, other- also he probably never thought that his commentary would be held up to such scrutiny so many years <laughs> later. <laughs> um. Well, if I got- conclude, I would just like to say CM Punk. You're a pissy guy, and you objectively did very bad at your ultimate fight. But I <laughs> still think you're one of my favorite people to do it. So, Aww. yeah. Aww. Also, Lucy has a last name. Did you know that? I was reading a results page of what happened, and they gave her a last name. And I'm not joking. Yes, I know. It's, 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 it's fur, right? Yeah. Oh my god. But but I don't think they actually ever say that on ROHT like ROH DVDs. Like I I know I've definitely seen that written, but maybe in other prom- I I just I don't remember them that ever actually being used on a DVD. But we'll find out maybe yeah. we're wrong. Do you get it though? <laughs> Do you get why she's <laughs> fur comma Lucy? Yes. <laughs> she's from hell. She's the devil Satan himself, aka Bilzebub. Uh, I I you know I have a, I have a thing for those demons. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm gonna transition. Six, to six, sixty-nine. I got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was just gonna point out, like, I was just looking over my notes. I think one spot when we talk about how sloppy this match it could be, and how a lot of early Punk matches were sloppy. I, I just wanted to point this spot out. I don't even know if this is Punk's fault, but there was one really egregious spot where um, it looked like it was going to be. Um, Punk was going to run at Homicide, and Homicide was going to like throw him in the air and drop him on his knee into kind of like a inverted atomic drop or whatever. But like Punk would avoid it, and then since uh, Homicide would be on one knee, he'd be in perfect position for the Shining Wizard, which is one of Punk's signature moves at that time. And if you watch the tape, what actually happens is Homicide throws Punk like a little bit in the air. Punk lands on his feet like a couple feet away from Homicide. They both stare at each other for a second, and then Homicide drops to one knee so Punk can do the Shining Wizard on him for, like, no reason other than to take the move. Like, it's just mm. really awkward but kind of funny-looking um, thing. There was also another moment where they took them two attempts to get Punk in a surfboard. Like, Homicide couldn't roll them up upright. Uh, Julius just- Smoke. No, sorry. Oh, go on. No, no, please. No, go on. No. Uh, Julius Smokes was, I thought, really good in his debut as an official manager here. He yapped right in Punk's face at one point, which made me laugh. Um, Dave wrote in The Observer that the Ring of Honor thought Jay Train did well in his debut, and they expect him as a regular going forward. So Julius Smokes impressing in his first non-riot role, real real official non-riot role. That's right. Did a good job. Um, can Can I just mention... I mean, it goes without saying, but, you know, in Japan, I'm sure a little bit less weird, but in translated to English, the Shining Wizard is a hilarious name for a wrestling move. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I can't everyone. that's the first time this has come up in your podcasting career. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Why do we take these things as given? 
you know what's I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but uh, Eric Cannon used to uh, on an indie fixture around this time when everyone was doing this move on the indies. He did a variation where basically it ended in an enziguri. It was like a step up enziguri off the knee instead of um uh uh. I need a uh, face. Knees. Yeah, and he called the move the glimmering warlock. I shit you not. Instead of the shining wizard. <laughs> That's good. That was his variation. Yeah, I, so that was- a much applause to Eric Cannon. I feel like so, that's yeah. like that's like ahead of its time as far as like meta like wrestling mockery stuff. Like I feel like 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 nowadays you'd have a lot of wrestlers doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Nowadays they'd skip right to like the meta thing. They wouldn't even do the regular move. Like yeah. nowadays, like you you get the young bucks doing the Meltzer driver when they weren't doing like a driver move before that. It's just yeah. like gonna go straight to the fun. Yeah, they made up the move just to have the name. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, good good match, sloppy, but they were trying to have something great. Uh, after the match, Homicide gets the number one contenders trophy. He and Smokes talk to the camera, tell Samoa Joe they're coming for him. And that leads us to the next match, a no-disqualification six-man tag. The Carnage crew of DeVito, Loke, and Masada defeat the Texas Wrestling Academy students of Don Juan, Fast Eddie, and Hot Stuff Hernandez, Rudy Boy Gonzalez managing them. And they lose in 9 minutes, 12 seconds when DeVito pins fast Eddie after a second rope spike pile driver. This was one, uh, just I'm going to throw it to you first since it's I'm just, I like to alternate turns on who gets this talk first. But I'll just say, like, as someone telling you, as someone who doesn't watch Ring of Honor, like, this is, in my opinion, the most violent match we've seen yet in oh, okay. our watching of this. So, I mean, I don't know if you have a high taste for this kind of rampant blood and concussions, but like, what'd you think watching it now? Uh, that's more or less exactly what I thought. I thought, how trite would it be for me to make the points about how it was not a big deal to whack people in the head like that? Like, does this come up every episode you do, or is this particularly, uh, horrifying? Um, that wasn't good for them. What they did, it was bad. Yeah, um, that's all I got. And also, uh, um, similarly, my I'll never look at Hernandez the same way again because my biggest Hernandez memory is I think MVP made a, a music video for one of his good raps, and uh, it was a bunch of wrestlers, the boys, as we say, and they were hanging with some babes at a pool, and he gave the border toss to one girl, and she came so perilously close to cracking her head on the edge of the pool and it's haunted me for life so that in the future and during this match really really traumatic stuff for me to watch what was that move? Was it, did, that, did that move have a name yet with the release razor's edge thing but at this point i don't know i was gonna ask you matt like do you think do you recall if this is the first time we've seen it in ring of honor because i think it is i can't like recall the, seeing it before but he, he did it a couple of times right yeah, because he, he did it once, and then Fast Eddie in one of the crazier spots, who, as Gabe will always remind us every show, he's legally blind, you know? <laughs> and uh, he picks him up in the in for the border. Like, Eddie tells him, like, border toss me over the ropes to the floor on top of the opposing team, which is crazy because you're taking a bump where you're, like, completely blind, no pun intended, on top of other which people. Which he already so. is, fun fact. Yeah. yeah. So... I'm guessing it got its name when he did the racial based tag team in NWA TNA. Yes, that is yeah. this. That was definitely yeah. This he def, that definitely is when it got that name. But I was just wondering if it had a different name at this point. But 
yeah, this match was cray-cray. Um, a lot of blood. The biggest coming from Loke, because he, obviously not on purpose, gashed his head open in the back of the chair. Like, I mean, the back of his head. So there, I guess it was with the chair. So there's just blood gushing out of his head from the behind, like, covering his neck. It was crazy. Um, I, I wrote at one point, um, Don Juan hits a chair to Masada's head and drops Masada um, in sort of like... Uh, an inverted DDT, like, onto the chair right after that. And I, I just wrote, was this match worth it? Like, of all the times <laughs> that you're going, like, just like, no offense, Justin, but some random, like, <laughs> like B-level ROH show in Pittsburgh. Like, uh, hey. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're going to do it, like, you might as well, you know, not like, obviously you're not going to save it for WrestleMania at this point, but come on, man. Death before dishonor, at least. Um, but, um... Fast Eddie hit a somersault Van Terminator. There were so many guys going for Van Terminators in early ROH. It was very surprising. This one was definitely better than Monster Max, though. Um, but everyone was bleeding. Um, Hernandez was no-selling DeVito's offense. Um, <laughs> but all of his offense look was cool. That's one thing I will say about Hernandez. His offense looked really cool. Like He, just did, he did a lot of cool moves. Um, and Loke just like winged a chair at him. Like, he just, like, threw it, like, overhand at him like he was throwing a baseball. Like, so that was, like, that's a little bit crazy. And there's just chair shots everywhere. Um, Masada hit a top rope Death Valley driver on Don Juan. Just, like, random in the middle of the match. Top rope Death Valley driver. Uh, Fast Eddie hit a top rope Rana onto Masada, onto the floor, onto chairs, which is just a lot of ontos. Um, uh, Hernandez uh, did the thing with the Eddie onto Logan DeVito on the floor, the the border toss, and then he just topes head first into DeVito's chair. Um, then they do their uh, a tag team neck breaker onto Fast Eddie and the double spike pile driver for the win. Um, it was memorable though, right? Won't you say that? Like you'll like Trevor, you'll remember this match for a little while. Yeah, I thought like this is the most entertaining garbage match like with the caveats i think like kind of going to what justin was saying that you have to kind of put aside like you're caring for humanity like you have to turn you have to have the and I, I don't blame anyone that doesn't have this ability but like to forget about like the effects of the billion unprotected chair shots or the fact that loke apparently according to the observer needed 12 staples to close the gash in the back of his head from the chair shot and, um, yeah, it was really just like, unlike a lot of these brawls we've seen, which are just kind of walk and bleed fests where the guys literally just walk and bleed. Like there was a lot of brutal chair shots in this, a lot of actual like flashy wrestling spots that you just described. Like Masada took a couple crazy spots going off the top to the floor and just barely catching one chair like that was open. Um, yeah, no, all, all the, my jokes aside about, like, you know, the town and stuff, it's like, it is cool, like, you know, they were wrong-headed about it, no pun intended, but it is cool that they were like, okay, this is, this you know, this is, a, you know, not a highly attended show, but we're going to go out there and we're going to give them something they're not going to forget. Like, I appreciate the, the idea behind that. The, the thing that made me a little uncomfortable watching this is that the three guys that are, you know, getting our fodder for the Carnage crew are Texas Wrestling Academy students. And, you know, we've been told so many times through the first year or so of Ring of Honor, like, oh, these guys are making the 26-hour whatever drive from Texas to these Northeast shows. And, you know, 
I, I was telling you the other day, like, I don't think this is what like Don Juan signed up for when he went to the Texas Wrestling Academy school, you know, to be in like a bloodbath with the carnage crew, like beating the living shit out of people. But so that in that sense, that made me feel like a little guilty. That's the part that actually made me feel a little guilty. Like, eh, I wish it was someone else taking this kind of abuse, but like, I think those big wrestling spots that we described, like the border toss to the outside, the van terminator, like all those are the things that actually make this more memorable and like actually like an solidly like enjoyable, crazy brawl over some of just the matches where it's just guys cutting themselves and stumbling around ringside. So yeah, I, I, let me, I'll, I'll add a couple things to what you're saying. Cause um, I, you know, I, I, it do, for whatever reason, and maybe this is bad, I, I, it, it, it makes it less hard for me to watch a match like this when I know that it happened like 15 years ago, and you know, and there weren't like any particularly tragedies with these guys. You know, I'm sure. I mean, it's still bad, and I'm sure they're still feeling the effects of wrestling that way. But like, it's it's easier for me to to tolerate it. You know, so many years after the fact than if I was watching it. You know, more recently. The other thing is, I would say as far as like, did was this what Don want to get into wrestling for? I mean, if you remember the type of wrestling that was always on TV when Don Juan first got into wrestling, it is possible that these are the kind of matches that he would dream of wrestling. Uh, you know, ECW was big. Um, WWF was still um, doing all sorts of hardcore matches. So it's not so crazy to think that he did dream of wrestling a crazy brawl with all these big crazy moves like that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, if you were going to get into death match wrestling, you'd call yourself Don Juan. Like that's not a very death matchy kind of name, but no, I can see your point. Uh, I just realized one thing I wanted to bring up earlier that I forgot, which is the scramble match. That was easy money's last ring of honor match. He, I think retired from wrestling for a while, shortly after a little while after that match. So that's the end of easy, the easy money era of through the years, actually. Mm. So I just wanted to, Bring that Cashed up. out. R.I.P. Easy. Now we're going to have to work hard for our money after that. <laughs> and so after this match, um, Rudy Boy chases the Carnage crew out of the ring. The Carnage crew asks Scott Chong if he's that tough enough bitch and then oh. give him a relatively light beatdown compared to what the match we've just seen. But Rudy eventually chases the Carnage crew away with a chair. So. That's the end of Scott Chong's night. He gets some actual physical abuse to go with all the verbal abuse he suffered. And, yeah, that doesn't feel great either, but, yeah. And they were so mad at him for so little reason. And they just were like, what are you, Scott Chong from Tough Enough? We're going to kill you. <laughs> and uh, they they said a lot of profanities, too. And I was like, whoa, the car- whoa. The Carnage, crew are, the Carnage crew are mean men. That's their whole gimmick. They're just right. a bunch of meanies. It was like more like the cursing crew at that time. <laughs> like they said F word and other words. I couldn't believe it. And that is when uh, the commentary said, Squat just like pissed and crapped himself. So <laughs> something I that had a suppressed memory uh, from that match that came back when I was watching is that yes, I remember watching that match, low those fifteen years ago, seeing one of the men take a bump on the floor. And saying, "Why are you doing that here for us?" <laughs> like, so yeah, that lines up. At least I was with it at the time. It wasn't like a head trauma thing. It was just like, "Why? Why you? Why would you want to do that?" You okay. were woke early. 
See, I use thirsty and woke. I'm I'm hip. I'm I'm trying to appeal to the to the younger gem- demographic here. Yeah, but with that Missy Hyatt so, joke that you did earlier, you got to do a little better, man. I'm sorry. You're get dragged by Missy Hyatt stands for that comment. Hashtag time times up. Hashtag uh, like inclusion writer. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Anyway, um. Wait, where's the inclusion writer for this podcast? Yeah, we just. That's, that's actually not. A, that's, that's a that's a little too true. Good, so good um, challenge. You get um, sack rider, right? <laughs> Next up, round robin challenge. The second match, Paul London defeats the Amazing Red via pinfall in ten minutes nine seconds after he hits a Styles Clash. Ooh, furthering that little feud. Um, Matt, how about you go first on this one? Okay. Well. Um, I, uh, as, as far as this match, uh, just overall, it was shorter than I expected, but I think that worked in its favor. I, I, I think the, the main thing I took away from it was London wrestling with personality now. You know, like, he really never got to do this before. He was, like, the heel in this match. And obviously the crowd didn't take him as a heel. Like, they, they, they loved him. But he was doing, you know, like, you said, the posing and, like, the, just, like, the, the AJ Styles mockery and all that stuff. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so this actually had a little bit more of a storyline than the first red match. Um, of course, typically, London gets hurt in the match from a red kick, um, because that's red. And he, yeah. he, can't, he can't go through a show without giving somebody some sort of injury. Luckily, uh, a black eye is, uh, I guess, on the lower scale of injuries. Um, but it is what it is. Um, so, uh, he does, like, London does, like, a little strut at one point, which I thought was cool. Just, like, uh, Justin... It, so far, up until maybe the show before this, London was just like a white meat baby face. So now that he's like he's like feeling the star power, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna have personality, and I thought he did a pretty good job. He's like he's controlling the match, he's grounding Red with kicks, and you know, and Red does come back. He does like a bridging German suplex for two. I really noticed that Red's improved. Like he really got pretty good by this point. Um, obviously, he needs to stop injuring people. But he's, he's gotten pretty good as far as his fundamentals. Um, he does a red star press for two. He goes for a springboard, but London catches him and hits a powerbomb into the Styles Clash, and that's how he won it. Um, you know, good little match. That's basically how I'd say it. Good little match. I liked London, uh, you know, showing a different side of himself. And I guess like you said earlier, it's because he's wrestling red and he gets the opportunity to be that guy against red where he really couldn't be against anybody else. Yeah, I thought this match was good, but a a little disappointing because watching it, I felt like almost like there was a few directions they could have gone in, and instead of going in any direction like all the way, they did like a little bit of a few things. Like London kind of bullies Red. He definitely did more suplex type moves and 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 less flying than he normally would he did this move where he, he hip tossed red and then kicked him in the back mid hip toss oh which yeah was that cool. was awesome that was awesome yeah yeah he, he did some soup some big suplexes and things like that like a tiger suplex where he held the underhooks and then did a second tiger suplex so yeah he was he was bowling a little bit but they didn't really make the whole match about that he was being kind of a dick doing aj styles poses but they didn't really focus too much on that and it was kind of a, a a big move match but it was also again only 10 minutes and in the middle of the round robin challenge you felt like if they had a main event and didn't have to work twice on one night it'd be bigger it'd be more so it felt just like 
all these little elements, but I would have liked if they had just focused on one of those elements, like either the bully part or the heel part or just going crazy and maybe made the whole match about that where it felt like just like the Whitman sampler of different things these guys could have done in this match. But overall, I still thought it was it was good. And yeah, like we do, we always do on the show the uh, keep track of the string, the undefeated string of man-on-woman violence. But I wish if I had known earlier if I had kept their actual running count of the number of times Amazing Red has injured somebody so far, because we'd have to be up to like half a dozen at least times that he's concussed someone, or in this case, like gives R- Paul London a little bit of a cut and a black eye. Like he is hurt a lot of people unintentionally in his run. Um, Justin, like, what do you have to say about this? I know we've covered a fair bit of ground, but do you have any thoughts on this? One, uh, BJ Whitmer sampler. Is that a thing? <laughs> Two, <laughs> I was just really happy to see Paul. Similarly to CM Punk, but with like Punk, there's so much accumulated memory, joy, and whereas Paul, I always liked Paul London, but I hadn't thought about Paul London in a dog's age. And it was like, Paul, my boy. Um, this Paul is, is and bae. also this and also you know CM Punk's career progresses, like in a way like this is like really sort of peak Paul London in terms of him being a standout, like, guy where you're like, this is going to be this this future, you know? That's uh, actually really what I want to bring up, was that it made me very resentful that, like, there is no Paul London run in um, mid-2000s NXT, where he was, like, got to be, like, Neville or, or uh, Gargano. Johnny Gargano, yeah. where they actually, like, use them. And it, it makes it... Like, everything that has changed this decade makes you forget, like, people should have had no hope when Punk and Danielson went to WWF, because, like, Danielson, or, uh, London and Kendrick, they eventually won the tag titles, like, three years later after Kendrick left once and then came back, but they were treated as, like, jabroni losers the whole time, and they are really, really good. So, um... I was I was really happy to see Paul, and it made me kind of wistful for for the Paul London that never got to be, aside from yeah. his matches with Akio. <laughs> yeah, like one of the th- discoveries I think me and Matt have made doing the show is just like how good. I mean, we knew it before, I think, but like how good Paul London was in this era, and because every show I keep being reminded of how good Paul London was, like it made me do a little research of like what's happened to Paul London since then? And I found some interview where he was talking about how, like he kind of lost his love for wrestling. And like, even now, even though he's still a little involved, he doesn't really have much of a passion for it. And it kind of bores him. And it just feels like, like, I don't know if there's a wrestle. maybe it would have happened without WWE, but I feel like there's few wrestlers that have had like their love of wrestling, like more clearly definitively, definitively drained by WWE than Paul Lennon and CM Punk where like they went from like being so excited to go there to like leaving the company and being like, you know what? I don't even really like pro wrestling anymore as like a whole, this thing I grew up dreaming about doing like it, it, it's really sad. Like, how it just completely killed Paul London's will, I guess, to like stick around. It's kind of embarrassing to me in that like mindset, how people have the temerity from their stupid little computer screen keyboards to be like, why doesn't Dean Ambrose have the same passion and fire that he had like in 2015 before his reason to care was completely grinded out of him? Uh, 
gradually and consistently. Like, why why is it okay for you to sit back and criticize everything that happens? But second, someone who actually works there and has to, like, go to all the places and do all the stuff gets the little bit discouraged. Then there's a big dog pile on them for, like, being bad at it. Guys. Yeah, we get, we get so, like, uppity about, oh, you know, that guy's just collecting a paycheck. Like, where's their passion? It's like... I get like discouraged if I expect a package from Amazon and it shows up like a day later, like it was supposed to come today. Like that will throw off my whole day. And you're getting mad like these people whose childhood dreams were going to the WWE. And then they quickly find out that like the dream they grew up with is completely different than reality. And like, yeah, some of those guys are probably going to start going through the motions a little bit at that point. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now that we've had that, depressing dose of reality um Ah. next we get a dose of gary michael capetta who was justin you may not know he was ring of honors backstage interviewer at this point and this is intermission time so it's gary michael capetta time he's interviewing matt striker gary asks matt how he prepares for matches like the one he's having tonight and matt says it's physical conditioning and mental conditioning so really it's just conditioning um he tells Gary he has to go do some of that said conditioning when Chad Collier barges in, saying Matt is running his sloppy mouth. I don't know why he had to add sloppy to it again. Chad says he has respect for Matt, but he's going to make him tap to the Texas Cloverleaf for the third straight time tonight and asks him what, asks Matt what, no, he asks what Matt and that nasty looking caterpillar on his head thinks about that. Sounds like he has Matt, a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Matt says he's learned a lot from wrestling Chad and Ring of Honor and all over the world, but one thing Chad didn't teach him was how to learn from his mistakes, which he's been doing a lot on his own lately. The two men stare an intense handshake, and Gary goes off looking for another interview, immediately finding it right down the hall when he finds Michael Shane and Simply Luscious in a stairwell just hanging out. Shane says since he doesn't have a match tonight, he needs some camera time. He tells Christopher Daniels that he doesn't blame him for not wanting to wrestle Michael Shane tonight, not wanting to get super kicked again like he did a few shows ago. Shane does wonder what he'll be doing tonight then, but then remembers he's in the group and the, they, the group does whatever they want. So he and Luscious walk up the stairs and Capetta tells us right after intermission, we'll see what they have planned. So just a couple of quick little segments. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys have possibly have anything to say about those. Well, now, what is the group's name? The group's name is literally yes. the group. Right. It's like yeah, a who's on first what is, thing. What is that group's name? It's the group. Right. The one from this interview. <laughs> what are they called? Like, what is their name? The, the, the group, it's, you know, that's what they are. They're the group. No, no. Uh, Justin, Justin, <laughs> Justin, 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 the answer you're looking for yep. is they're called Carino's Cool... Cheese curls. Carino's cool cheese curls. Say that. <laughs> it's it's a tough it's a tough name. When we podcast to get loose and do our warm up exercise, we should do Carino's cool cheese curls. Carino's cool cheese curls. Carino's cool cheese curls. <laughs> Ask Matt at that nasty caterpillar. Ask Matt at that nasty coat. <laughs> See, it's hard. <laughs> anyway, nope. so whoever this group is, I hope when they come out later, you explain to me what they're called because I'm. <laughs> Um, Matt, do you have anything to say about those segments? Probably not. Nope. Okay, so next I think we'll have something we all have a lot to say about. And I have, ooh, so- ooh, ooh. 
I have selfishly allowed me myself to go first on this one. That's why I was giving away first points on so many other matches because I really, I think we'll all have a lot to say about this one. But it's babes, Ale- babes, 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 babes. <laughs> Alexis Lurie defeats the debuting Persephone via pinfall in five minutes twenty eight seconds after hitting a reverse DDT. Okay, so let's just say first, Matt. I think this is safe to say this is the best match so far women's match we've seen in ring of honor history so far it is also a below average match but that's not the story of this match the story of this match is the insane commentary and (laughs) yes gabe sapolsky has been like a fake jerry lawler sexist or real fake jerry lawler sexist because the sexism (laughs) might be real i don't know but the jerry lawler-esque act is obviously an affectation but I don't think it's ever been as schizophrenic as it was here. Because it felt like, to me, half of the match he wanted to be fake Jerry Lawler, and half of the match he wanted to sell this as real women, you know, real athletes doing real These women things. These aren't models. They believe in the competition here at Ring of Honor, and they're so damn hot, baby. Yeah. Early on, Gabe talks <laughs> about... um how the only thing he likes better than goth girls is Mickey James's nice or not Mickey James. She would become Mickey James, Alexis Lurie's nice flat tummy. And he, that starts off a run of like six or seven times during this match. He comments on a nice flat tummy. Mr. Uh, James, t- if I could add to that detail, I yeah, definitely took notes about that. And the exact quote was flat little tummy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I literally wrote barf like four times. <laughs> um, so other things Gabe does, like he keeps going back and forth. He starts the match. He tells us these two are ultra hot and smoking. He, um, you know, he keeps talking about the flat tummy, but then other points of this match, he'll go like the other way where he'll be like, Oh, I think this could be the start of a real women's division here in ring of honor. <laughs> or, or like, I think one point I wrote, quote, he wrote, he says, Gabe says this is, isn't just a TNA show. It's great women's wrestling. So I feel like that kind of gives you a hint of like, of what Gabe's mindset was. Like he seems almost surprised that this match is just not two women, like stumbling into each other and not knowing what to do. And then later he, um, Gabe says, quote, I don't want to degrade them at all. Unquote. And if you ever have to say, (laughs) I don't want to degrade them, you've probably degraded them. So, but yeah, it's just back and forth between Gabe being really gross and then say, then over praising like a below average match. That's That's kind of competent and being like, Oh, this is crazy. Great women's wrestling. And then, Oh man, they sure are hot. So, I mean, Justin, what do you, I mean, what else is in your notes about this match? (laughs) Just like, um, yes, yes, repeatedly it says, um, I like this, um, (laughs) the emoji with the hearts for eyes, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, boy, oing, oing, something. Were you thinking about this specifically? Didn't you write a tweet on Twitter.com just a couple days ago about how like the how far Mickey James has come from yeah. like these? Yeah, because thinking about this specifically, she was wrestling Asuka on Raw, mm-hmm. and I was watching it and being like, like she's just a serious wrestler. Like it's it's crazy to you know when we there's all sorts of debates about women about like wrestling, like, Oh, this is better in wrestling than it was, than it used to be. And this is worse. And you know, Oh, I can't get into modern wrestling. Like, I think the one thing you literally cannot debate 
is that women are treated way better in wrestling in 2018 than they were in 2003 because in America at least. Okay, yeah, in America, but like the the wrestling scene here is just like it, it's like I wouldn't if it, it feels like 50 years apart and not 15. Just how it's just like even this promotion, I mean, me and Matt have said this before, that was built around, oh, we're so cutting edge and progressive and like we're giving real athletes a serious chance to show what they can do. Even they could not help themselves just drooling over women and acting like boobs were the most novel thing in the world that you could not see on the internet anytime you wanted. I, I almost felt like... Like Gabe sometimes, and like it's kind of similar to what Justin was talking about with the whole smoke a bowl thing. Um, it was almost like Gabe is like, I must emulate a human male. <laughs> and human males call women hot and go, mmm. And they like chicks. And so he had to be like, he had to like just prove that he was, he was a man by saying all these gross stuff about these women, or else guys would watch it and be like, this guy ain't a real man. And. <laughs> As so I can't watch his wrestling. Yeah, I, that, that's how I. I mean, or the less um, the less generous possibility is that Gabe is just actually like this, in which or was actually like this, in which case that's worse. Um, the, the, the as far as like overpraising the match, they definitely did that. One thing that I really thought was ridiculous was when Persephone like went for a pinfall and hooked the leg, and it was like, look at that, she even hooked the leg. And I was like, wow, talk about standards changing. Um, yeah, so the, I thought the match was overhyped to the point of absurdity as far as, like, the pray. Like, if they, if they had just, like, presented the match, I would have been like, oh, this match is, you know, not so bad. Decent, decent little women's match, um, or decent little match. Um, but because they were like, oh, man, what an impressive match, I was like, no, that match kind of sucked. So, like, I don't know why you're saying that. Um, and of course, yeah, the commentary, I mean, it was just beyond gross. Like, the flat little tummy stuff. He started by saying... Like, yeah, like you said, I like them even more than goth girls. The flat, it's just like, and actually, Doug played the like the gorilla monsoon role in the sense he was like, Will you stop? You know, enough of that. Call the damn match. So, I actually think, I like, at least I like to think that Doug was literally getting uncomfortable with this, and it was not, it was, it was not kayfabe stuff. It's just like, that he was just thinking, like, Dude, what, what are you doing? Why are you, <laughs> this is not our brand. But I guess Gabe wanted to be all things. But, you know, they're not sports entertainment. See, I feel like sometimes Doug has played along with that stuff. But, again, like I think you made a great point where it just seems so fake. Like, everything is Gabe's impression of what a normal human being might want. So it's like, yeah, you know, smoking a bull, watching wrestling, you know, pot boobs, all that <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah, like, it, like everything comes so... That, that's the part, like, the weird Gabe that, like, stumbles over words and, like, gets too excited or not excited enough, that Gabe feels genuine and, and, and somewhat likable even sometimes. It's the Gabe that's trying to sell me, like, what he thinks I want that seems like the most fake, gross person on Earth. Yeah, I feel like Kind of must- like the... Feel like he must go for it, yes. I feel like he must have, like, notes, like, where he's, like, literally, like, smokable... In, in big letters, hot boobs, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> kind of like Trump had that, like, I hear you note I, weeks ago. 
that's he what he kind of is, right? Is the it shows up a lot now as a meme, which is Steve Buscemi on Thirty Rock <laughs> dressed as a high schooler saying, "How do you do, fellow kids?" Yeah, yeah, he is that guy. That, that that's a perfect way to describe. Like Gabe on commentary at some, not all the time, but on some matches is, "Hello, fellow kids." Like, yeah. hey kids, you know what we all love? Cutting edge action, but also hanging out with the ladies and smoking a little, maybe even drinking a beer or two while you watch some football, right? Right? Like just But not living off your parents' money because you work hard for that money. So these raver kids, we want to see them get beat up, but you know, boobs, hot boobs. Matt, I don't know if you noticed this. There was also a little weird bit where Gabe asked Doug to spell Persephone. Doug can't do it. And then Gabe remarks, Well, you're still good at editing though. And then that's breaking character because, you know, they're supposed to be like Ray Morrow and yeah. Chris Lovey. Not, <laughs> yeah. not, and so all of a sudden, like Doug Gentry goes like, um, like uh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so so and actually, I want to go back because when I'm thinking about great Gabe Doug commentary during that like bloodbath Carnage Crew match before. I forgot to mention, Gabe kept mentioning, we can, you can smell the blood during that match. Like he mentioned multiple times, you can smell the blood. And then at one point, Doug goes, uh, I have like a cold, my nose is stuffed up, I can't smell the blood. Like, I thought it was funny that he just went out of his way to like, yeah, uh, say that I can't could... smell blood, Gabe. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you're, you're a weirdo, man. <laughs> what are you, friggin' werewolf? <laughs> like just slowly backing away. Yeah. Can you smell the blood, Doug? <laughs> Curious, too, that they had that conversation over how to spell Persephone, because Persephone is spelled wrong. <laughs> At least according... <laughs> Persephone, the real one who lived, the Greek goddess of uh, pomegranates or whatever, she's the daughter of Demeter. She was, I think, raped by Hades. But So that's just an O-P-H-O-N-E. But this one had P-H-O-N-I-E. Which, if it's intentional, like she's not the real Persephone from Greek myth, she's a phony one, then that would be a pretty cool name. Persephone. But, uh, yeah, I guess he is not that good at spelling and should rely on his editing because he spelled Persephone. Whoever put that graphic up spelled Persephone wrong. And that's why we had you on the show. Because culture, we don't culture, mythology. culture. Um, after the what match- about Apollo Crews? He's mythology. <laughs> Hercules is mythology. <laughs> Keep it in this is mythology. Keep it in 2003, Justin. <laughs> um, after the match, Michael Shane and Simply Luscious hit the ring. Luscious hits Larry with a Death Alley driver. Shane pulls on Persephone's hair and tosses her to Larry to Death Alley driver her, which it she does. Both well, then. Uh, both then push her out of the ring with their boots, kind of violently, not crazy violent, but I'll note that Gabe and Doug on commentary sell this as a Shane stomping a woman, so they certainly intend it to be seen as real big man-on-woman violence, so the streak continues. Yeah, it definitely counts. Every show in Ring of Honor history, 18 for 18, <laughs> man-on-woman violence. Again, we're saving the balloons for when it stops, but it continues. Um, Luscious gets a chair for Shane to sit in the center of the ring in Capetta comes out to interview him, but Shane chases him off. Gabe on commentary says they're sick of this group stuff and says they're going to cut to a second Which city group s- though. The group cuts to a second city saints. Carino's crazy. Carino's crazy cheese curls. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. So anyway, uh, Gabe, throws to a second city saints promo backstage and we in fact do cut to cm punk mid promo backstage flanked by ace steel and colt cabana 
Punk says when he was younger, he was discriminated for the way that he dressed. He says from an early age, he learned how to use his fists because his life is a war. I think his UFC career proves that line is not true. Um, (laughs) Punk talks a little more as Colt almost rolls his eyes in the background. Punk says, Ace Steel is one of the most prolific underrated wrestlers on the scene and someone who would take a bullet for him. Punk then says, what Colt Cabana lacks in brains, he makes up for in size and stamina. Colt doesn't appear to like the first half of that comment, but he does like the second half of it. Um, Punk says Colt is, quote, one of the biggest big men in Ring of Honor today. I don't know if that's uh, Hmm. true. Uh, Colt wants to know why Punk is ripping on his brains, but all Punk says is, shut up, I'm on a roll. Punk tells Raven that these are his soldiers. He says Raven sent Trinity to do a man's job, and that when Raven throws a stone, he throws a brick. He then brings in Lucy and calls Trinity a hobgoblin. Lucy smiles and giggles. Punk tells Raven to ask BJ Whitmer and Homicide about CM Punk. I'll note that Punk's current record in Ring of Honor against Homicide and CM P- and uh, BJ Whitmer at this point is zero wins, one loss, and one draw. So, like... Ask them what you think about me. Well, you haven't done that great against them. Um, Gabe wraps up the promo. He does the typical Gabe thing where he's like, cut, that's a wrap, guys, but leaves the camera running. Punk tells Lucy then that we, this Then we saw the real part of it. Yeah, now, we, now this is when people stop being fake and start being real, like on the real world. And uh, Punk tells Lucy that the Saints don't do outside interference because she tried to interfere in their match earlier. So Punk's like, no, we have a code. We don't do this. Colt says there's a couple other Second City Saints rules, including don't eat yellow snow, something about a butcher I couldn't make out, and then he loses his train of thought but eventually comes up with also 10 minutes of slow jams when you drive with me. Um, Ace Steel randomly starts talking about how Black Label Society rules. Lucy agrees, headbangs. Colt says Black Label is no grease, and then Ace, Lucy, and Colt all break into grease dancing. Punk falls to the floor, head in his hands, not happy with this. Finally saying, my life is, yeah, my life is war, is yeah. the end of Punk's thing. Yeah, and, la- and the last thing Cabana says as they walk off to Lucy is like, oh, you'll love it in the Saints. It's a big party all the time. I, th- I thought it was pretty funny. I, li- I like that he like started with that my life is a war uh, catchphrase because it was clearly so obnoxious and stupid. And and then they kind of brought it all back to this, make it a punchline where the where – his uh, his own crew was not taking him seriously at all, and he was like, "Oh, my life is a war." I actually thought like it was a pretty funny setup, and Punk is obviously a really good promo, but I I actually enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I thought I I I didn't the comedy like some of Colt Cabana's comedy like doesn't age. It's something that's I find is aging a little poorly with me. Like when I was younger, watching it for the first time, I thought he was super funny. Some of his jokes like "Don't eat yellow snow" and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that that wasn't it, funny. It feels like a guy who's trying really hard that that isn't that funny. Like I, I remember once I was listening to somebody talk and. Someone said, oh, Dave Grohl is so funny. He's like, he's not funny. He's like rock star musician funny. And I feel like Colt Cabana is not real funny funny. He's pro wrestler funny. Like he's funny for a pro wrestler. I mean, yeah, that might I, I, mean I want to make clear, like I wasn't like saying that Cabana was hilarious. I, I think like, no, the, I, the, the concept of, you know, with Punk, you know, taking the Super Series promo and then it all breaks down into just like everyone else around him just being like goofballs. I think that's funny. No, no, yeah, I, I don't want to misconstrue. Like, I don't get what you're saying, which is like, I, I think they've, I agree. Like, what they've done with them, the Second City Saints, which is, they're 
on one end they're trying to have it be this serious group, but they're like consciously having like this this fun push pull of like punk has these people that will fight for him, but they're like these goofballs that he kind of has to put up grudgingly put up with. Like, like I think that part's really funny. I, I was just pointing out like personally, the thing that kind of hurt a little for me is that like Colt's not always that funny in hindsight here in 2018, but no, I, I like, I like the, the theme of the group, which is of course also Steve Carino's group, mm-hmm. Justin. Yeah, um, I was like confused for a second, but <laughs> so um, we go to uh, the next match. I think we're down to three matches left, and this is a five-way. Matt Stryker defeats B.J. Whitmer, Chad Collier, Donovan Morgan, and Michael Shane in 19 minutes 28 seconds when he makes Chad Collier submit to the Striker Lock. I was really not looking forward to this match. I thought it was going to be. All these guys are solid wrestlers, but they can all, at different points, be dry and bland. I actually like this a lot more than I thought they would. It never lost my attention at almost 20 minutes. I thought it kept a good pace the first half. They didn't really go to the mat much. And I feel like when they did go, like, as the match went on, they told some stories like, Justin might not get these stories. And, Matt, I know you don't Justin, he's making fun of you. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying that like you might not appreciate this man on the level I do. You might not see all the notes they're not playing. No, but like just, <laughs> they, they just do things with um, like Michael Shane's always ducking out from Donovan Morgan, and then he finally only attacks Donovan Morgan when like he tags in when Morgan's already down to hurt because they're on opposite groups that are feuding and um. The Chad Collier and Matt Stryker interactions play off their feud where Stryker has lost the first two matches to Collier. And finally here he gets a direct submission victory over him and, you know, gets some revenge. So they thread those little stories in. And I I thought this was better than I thought it would be. It's nothing incredible, but I thought this was a good, solid match that kept my attention for 20 minutes. And... Yeah, um, Matt, I, I think you disagree with me. I think we've talked a little bit like... What did you think about this match? I, I thought it was dull for most of it. I, I thought, you know, the ending was exciting in the way that the endings of these matches can often be, where they're hitting all their big moves and it's like boom, boom, boom. Um, but I, I just find Donovan Morgan really dull, and there was a lot of him in this match. You know, a lot of Morgan against Shane. And, you know, it, it was interesting to see that, like, suddenly Shane was portrayed prominently on this show tonight because he'd really been sort of in the doghouse for, like, a, a while now. And so then now they're suddenly making another push to make Shane prominent again. But you know, it's not that the work was bad per se, and there was some good stuff. Like I liked the idea where like everybody in the match was working over Chad Collier's left leg, which tied into the finish later in the later in the night. Um, but it was just it was just too much blandness for me. Um, the um, like uh, so. There are a couple funny moments on commentary. One was where Gabe was doing this convoluted explanation of why Shane or anyone would tag out of a match like this. You know, he's like, well, it's because he knows that he's not about to be defeated, so he's going to tag out because he's going to let the other person do more damage, and it, it just felt like a real stretch. Like, like obviously, that's a logic hole in this kind of match, so just let it go. You know, you don't have to explain it. It's never going to make sense. That's my opinion, actually, anyway. I actually liked it at first when he said that because... Yeah, I guess we should mention, Matt already just kind of mentioned, but, like, the second half of this match, for a long portion until, like, the final few minutes, is everyone just taking turns working over uh, Chad Collier's leg, 
And so early on, Matt Stryker tags out, and as Matt said, Gabe says, you know, oh, he's conserving his energy, and he knows Collier's not ready to be beat yet. And see, I disagree. I thought that was a, a smart way to write that out at first. But then what happens is everyone tags out for like the next five minutes, and it's like the more that happens, it's like, well, is he not ready yet? Like it starts to look more stupid the more people tag out. Like if it was just that one tag out, I don't think it would look as it would have looked as stupid. It's fair enough. Um, uh, the other funny moment on commentary was Gabe was going over the code of honor, and he's listing all the rules. And one of the rules is no outside, or he's about to talk about the next rule, which is no outside interference. And simply luscious slaps Matt Stryker in the back when he's on the ground. And Gabe just, like, excuses it. He's like, oh, that was just mind games, not outside interference. <laughs> then he goes on to say, and, you know, there's no outside interference. And then Doug is like, like we just saw. And he's like, no, 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 that was just mind games. That wasn't real outside interference. <laughs> he literally said that. Yeah. And, and I laughed out loud. So that, that was a good moment. Um, See, that's the Gabe that seems genuine to me, yeah. like the clumsy, fumbling Gabe. <laughs> yes, it was funny. I didn't think badly of him, but it was definitely funny. Um, some weird stuff I thought in the match was, like, one of all the guys to get the hot tag, they picked Donovan Morgan, who hasn't, you know, I mean, really hasn't shown any personality and hasn't been in the company basically for like the past four months. And he gets this hot tag moment, which the crowd doesn't treat as it, but he really goes for like a traditional hot tag where he's like doing, um, you know, uh, doing uh, backdrops and like corner punches and stuff. And Shane eventually cuts him off with a, um, with an enziguri. And then you, they sort of go into the, uh, into the big final spots, which um, eventually end with Stryker and Collier, and they're doing these series of reversals, and Stryker gets the Stryker lock on Collier, and Collier taps. Um, so the ending was good. You know, a lot of, like, just, like, um, you know, Whitmer hitting his big moves, um, Collier going for the Cloverleaf, um, but uh, Shane super kicks Collier out of the move. Morgan moves, and Whitmer hits Simply Luscious, which is you know, accidental man-on-woman violence, but still, like, intentional in the sense that Morgan grabbed her and then moved out of the way. Um, Collier hit a German suplex on Whitmer and that, with, like, an leg lariat assist by Stryker. I thought that was cool. And then you get the finish. Um, so I thought the, the final two minutes were good, but I did think that there was some dullness to the match. And this is where I noted this is Gabe's worst commentary show in a while. Um, at least that's my opinion. Justin, when I was talking to Matt about this match, I said we'd have a tiebreaker in Justin you got to break the tie. Was this doll or not doll? Um, subjectively, I'm watching this sh- two hour and 45 minute bonus wrestling uh, for homework. When the amount of wrestling I don't watch per week is already sufficient. Uh, I get to this. I know I have two matches left with important people who are guys who are my friends. And then <laughs> five of these fucking C minus dudes come out. <laughs> almost. Almost skipped it, um, but I concur. I thought it did pick up at the end to where I was like, "Hey, now you're doing now you're doing some some ideas." And I credit you for that. Um, so I guess I maintain the tie. Have I agreed with both of you? Okay, and, um, fine. It's tie. This would be, would it not, as a five way match, a BJ Whitmer sampler? <laughs> I'm not after the Missy Hyatt thing. I'm not going to try and make a BJ sampler joke. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay with his hand and not take any more cards. I'm, I'm going to play it out. We got, we got to get Trevor some woke material. Right. A lot of, a lot of comedians are doing it these days. You could do it. 
I'm so woke they call me the insomniac. I, you, you just don't worry about me. I'm I'm good. All right. Don't, you know don't. who I'd say? Now, I don't read that much current events news, but a guy whose comedy I thought has always been very insightful about women is Louis C.K. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to scrap this whole show, Justin? I want something mm-hmm. wholesome like a Bill Cosby or something. You know, I, can't, I can't be a part of this. <laughs> hey, want to uh, hear a true story? Okay. Fe- February the month that we have in the Gregorian calendar is Black History Month. Um, it is only 28 days. I've heard this mentioned in some stand-up comedy bits. <laughs> only 28 damn days for Black History Month. Um, but so it's a uh, school where I work. There is a game it's Black History Bingo, and Bill Cosby is still in it because the game is from like 1994, and so kids are playing Black History Bingo with Bill Cosby. So that was weird. Um, well, so... he is history from reruns. <laughs> true, <laughs> very true. And then, um, right. So I'm just staying out of all this stuff entirely. I think this has been a by the standards of like dumb and relatively old white men. We've accounted ourselves pretty good. Like, yes. I hope that it, people listen to this and we're like, they brought up the like anti-misogyny thing too many times. If that bothers the kind of person who would say that, I'd be like, good. I'm proud of myself. I'm trying my best. <laughs> the, the only things, um, uh, Matt, that like you brought the c- couple of the commentary points I had in my notes, a couple I want to bring up quickly is uh, Gabe at one point says that Matt Stryker, like every show um, Gabe makes fun of Matt Stryker's unibrow, but on this show he says, Matt Stryker might be disfigured with his unibrow, but this guy is as good as they come. Is it really a disfigurement if you could just shave for, for one minute and the disfigurement <laughs> goes away? Like, yeah, he also he also said, and I, I thought this was a, like, th- throw in some shade, because um, Matt Moore, I'm mean, not Matt, Donovan Morgan, you know, definitely got a little bit bigger since we last saw him and he was like after bj whitmer um chopped him he's like did you see donovan morgan's body jiggle there and i <laughs> knowing gabe i really thought that was like a dick move like i really did and and then the same thing with the unibrow it's like man who the hell are you to be saying this shit <laughs> that's sort of how i felt about it like i always wonder like sometimes i wonder if we read too much into stuff like coded messages because like before the match star there there was something where um i guess michael shane did an in-ring promo and they just cut it out and gabe says something like trust me you didn't miss anything with that michael shane promo (laughs) he was just rambling on and you think well maybe gabe's trying to sell that michael shane's a heel but i'll note that like usually ring of honor shows run like three hours three hours and six minutes this show was like 245 they could have included that promo so i wonder if that's and knowing that michael shane doesn't work here much longer like maybe it wasn't a good promo and gabe decided to do a little commentary on that i don't know yeah, gabe was really feeling it this 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 night like there was he was just he wasn't having anything he was like i'm just gonna assert my authority <laughs> and the only other thing i wrote is um at one point, Simply Luscious slapped Donovan Morgan on the outside, and then Morgan went to Tiger Driver, Striker saves her. But then after that, Matt Striker says, I think, I, this is what he said, I didn't quite hear it perfectly, but Matt Striker said, um, stay out of it, you stupid bitch. And I just wrote my notes, this is Ring of Honor's version of chivalry. Like, that's about as good as it gets in Ring of Honor. Like, like that's as nice as it gets. Like, 
I'm going to protect you, but then I'm going to call you a stupid bitch. Like, <laughs> just, that, just, just, Justin, was Matt Stryker the guy in the crowd? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that could be. Yep. He may have just stood up and pointed that out. But uh, finally, we got two matches to go. Next up is the Round Robin Challenge, the third and final match. Christopher Daniels defeats Paul London via pinfall in 18 minutes, 54 seconds, after he hits the best moonsault ever, although, as Matt would point out, not yet called the best moonsault ever. Um, Justin, I know you thought Paul was the best guy on the show and one of your friends, so how do you think <laughs> your friend did here to, here in this match? Oh, Paul is bae. Is this the match where the fan from Japan came to see? Yes. yes. Okay, we should talk okay. about that. Let's now. talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay, she so did. Okay, okay, so here's my thing about it. All right. <laughs> so early in the match, Gabe says, Are oh, you see that that Japanese lady standing back there in the bleachers? So she came all the way from Japan just to see Paul London. Then a minute later, he's like <laughs> he calls her a stalker and makes fun of her for doing that very thing. So so the, the only possibilities are that this is like a rib and like this is someone Gabe knows and he's just like making that storyline up and is teasing about it. Or he's actually calling a fan <laughs> that flew halfway across the world to see his show, which I imagine is probably the best one of the best compliments an entertainer can be given, a stalker and makes fun of her. So what she kind of a what kind of flight? Yeah, what kind of dickhead move Midland. is that? So so do we know if if this is like does anyone know anything about this fan? Because if anyone listening does, I would like to know if this was a real thing or because if she's just a real fan who really traveled from Japan to see this, what a piece of shit thing to say about somebody. <laughs> also, I don't want to be a jerk. Like, uh, I feel like this is echoing something Matt did earlier, but like, um, if you, if you're flying to see Paul London, do you? Why did you pick the West Mifflin, Pennsylvania show? Like of all the Ring of Honor shows you could have seen, I mean, it turned out to be good because she got to see two Paul London matches, but she probably right. didn't know that when she booked the flight. Probably because that was when she could get off from work. Man, have some <laughs> empathy. Oh, are you saying Japanese people have a hardworking culture and they're working to the bone? Because that's also stereotypical, Matt. Maybe she has a very lax, laissez-faire uh, approach to work. Maybe. Okay, you guys went. Time off. Either way, it's it's not Sapolsky's business to question her travel or financial choices, is it? No, he mm. should be like, thank you so much for for right. supporting us to such a degree. Well, best case scenario, she herself is listening. In which case, I would ask two questions. One, what is the story biographically here? Two, was our feminism on point for some guys who are also trying to be funny at the same time, but also sensitive and like serious and not taking any shortcuts. Was that okay? Um, so yes, this is, is those, I think those, are, the, those the, are the two questions of the many compelling mysteries you, you have figured out on the show. I can't wait for a future episode where you're like, yes, man on message board explained all of this information and then go on for paragraphs about it. I can't wait. We gotta know. <laughs> So now is this a good joke? Um <laughs> in the vein of uh along those lines of like misogyny towards women in wrestling. Should one of the like Bertha Fay type wrestlers who's 
who's like a heel who's a big slob and she's mean and everyone hates her because like why would you let yourself how 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 can you present yourself like this as a person wrestler and what if her name was round robin would that be good (laughs) matt is now that we're getting to the pun section of the podcast matt do you want to go on about your um wrestling dating website oh yeah (gasps) yeah it's it'll be an app it'll be called singles match um um but you know when they when they set you up with matches instead of being called matches they'll be called opponents um you can have an opponent in this singles match um but it's a very inclusive and, you know, sex positive and, you know, into all sorts of things. So you could also really, if you really are serious about it, only if you're serious because you don't want to waste anyone's time, there's also an option to have some gimmick matches, um, which, um, you know, could involve upwards of 10 people if it's a 10-man tag or 10-person or tag. Um, but, but, you know, it's called singles match because, you know, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. So... You know, we're still open to all types, but yeah, so the app is Singles Match, um, wrestling fans only. Of course, uh, it's going to be mostly men, but... Um, no fake gamer girls, though. I hate them. <laughs> I love goth girls, though. They're pretty good. <laughs> oh, Will there be any goth girls? <laughs> I mean, listen, probably. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> They love wrestling dating apps and cutting themselves. You're just digging the hole, man. <laughs> I'm trying to have good, clean fun here. Um, so, no. So, so there's singles match. Uh, I believe that, um, Justin, when we were talking about it earlier, you made the suggestion that if we do have any knots being tied through our mm-hmm. app, they will get to marry each other with this very ring, a custom-made wrestling-related ring that we... It's an outcome. Yeah, that we, <laughs> that we, will, cre- we will furnish for them. By the way, if anyone wants to create singles match, either as an app or an in-person event, possibly next year at WrestleMania weekend, um, feel free to steal that idea completely from me and not give me any credit at all. Um, the slogan but, has to be "Find your match made in heaven" with "your" in all capital letters, <laughs> and speed dating has to be referred to as a royal rumble. Yeah, I would say that's Got a good the idea. countdown. Boy, a royal a royal rumble ideas. that was a gimmick that I didn't even think of. Um, a um, you could have a um, I don't know. I was gonna say a TS. Survivor Series is when you're a polygamist and you're trying to see which wife will really stick it out. Well, it's a it's a misogynistic take on the situation. No, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes, singlesmatch.com or download it at the App Store um, someday when someone else who's not me makes it because I'm not getting involved in that shit. And thus ends our thoughts on Paul London versus Christopher <laughs> Moving on to the main event. No, okay. Um, what did someone, someone, what did somebody think about this match? Please? All right. I got you. I got you, man. Okay. Okay. I got you. Okay. So Daniels went full back, you know, London's back being the baby face, full heel. I thought it was, this match was kind of cool. Because the beginning has a lot of, like, stalling, and they're grabbing the mic and talking trash to each other. And we really have not seen that in ROH at all, right? Where guys just, like, stall for a while, like, and Daniels is, like, running away, and then London jumps out of the ring, and Daniels is like, show me respect. And London's like, if you were showing respect, you would shake hands, which is the sickest burn I've heard in a while. But, um... <laughs> um you know, so I I liked all the um I liked all the stalling only because it doesn't happen very much in ROH, so it made the match feel a little different. Um, then um, Daniels like went over um 
kept getting put in arm bar and getting to the ropes, and London kept pulling him away, and that's when he got frustrated and ran out of the ring. Um, then Daniel started working on London's ribs, and we knew that the he he worked on run London ribs, London's ribs, because. The announcers, especially Gabe, mentioned it like 75 times. Like, that was to the ribs. He's hitting him at the ribs. Oh, my God, the ribs. In fact, one time, Doug messed up and said that, um, and said that uh, London's arm was, was dangling. Like, London was selling his arm, and Gabe had to correct him. He was like, no, 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 no. He's protecting the ribs, man. <laughs> and, and, and they mentioned like, that, that, that this is like a forte of, of Daniel's because he worked on Doug Williams' ribs at Night of Champions, of course, he lost that match, so I guess it wasn't good strategy. Um, but there were some cool spots. London, I mean, Daniels hit his sudden angel's wings like pretty early in the match, and London kicked out um, some other high spots. London hit a springboard fo- forearm out of nowhere that cut off Daniels' momentum, and he had his fiery comeback. Right, stepping in Zagiri, but London sells the ribs, so he can't cover right away. Um, misses a springboard moonsault where he jumps from like the outside to the inside rope and then, and then does the moonsault. And Gabe is like, he fell on his ribs. Um, uh, Daniel, Daniels misses the best moonsault ever. And, Gabe, and then um, there's a series of, of roll-ups. Uh, London gets on, top, on the top rope, and he keeps knocking Daniels off until he hits a shooting star press. But he lands on his ribs, so he can't cover. Then he finally covers, but, um, but Danger distracts the ref. Of course, Gabe is apoplectic about this. Danger tries to slap him, but London forces a kiss on her in more horrible assault um, by baby faces on women. Um, Daniels- Gabe does the old um, David Crockett mag- calling Magnum TA on baby doll. She likes it. She likes it. Like he does that whole like she likes it thing. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is like rape culture personified right here. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, it is right. Um, um, and da- so London has her, and Daniels charges. But London backdrops him over the top rope onto her, onto Danger, so that's even more violence. Um, London does like a tope crossbody onto Daniels, and then hits like that leg hood hook DDT for two. He goes for the shooting star press again, but uh, but Daniels gets the knees up right into Paul's ribs, and that's where the real first Danger us happens. Like he just says it out of nowhere, screams it. It's the it's the full thing, one full on dangerous right there. And I did not expect it to really debut in that moment where just a guy gets a knees up on a shooting star press. Because <laughs> given some of the other times he uses it, it not, not, doesn't really fit the bill. But, I mean, I guess if his ribs are that hurt. Um, uh, Daniels hits a flatliner, hits the best moonsault ever, wins the match. I thought it was very good. Uh, the body part psychology was good. I thought the announcers were almost annoying or, with how much they talked about it. But still they they hammered the point home so you weren't confused by what the storyline was and the work was really good london was did a really good job of selling um and daniels this was a good night for him he looked really good in both of his matches yeah i, I agree this was my favorite match on the show not by a ton but i, I on a show with i think a consistently a lot of good wrestling i thought this was like a little step above if you liked as, as Matt mentioned, if you like the uh, Doug Williams-Christopher Daniels match that we recently reviewed, you'll like this because it's the same busy story where Daniels is just on London's ribs like a laser. And London, I think, is at this point in wrestling one of the best baby faces out there at being sympathetic, making comebacks, selling. Just fantastic about all of that. Um, good story. It had, you know, perfectly, like, it's simple and predictable, but the perfect payoff where, you know... He, 
London spends the whole match getting his ribs worked over. He hits his finisher, but hurts his ribs doing it. So that buys some time and ends up screwing him over in the end. And so, yeah, it's just like Daniels is one of those guys where it's weird. Like a lot of his matches leave me like oddly cold. And then the other half of his matches are like this, where it's like, I'm really impressed where it's just really simple stories, really smartly told. And when he hits, he really hits for me. And this is one I thought very good match, really enjoyable. And they rehab Daniels. You know, they, this is typical Gabe booking where you book a guy for a long losing streak. And even though this round Robin challenge was like an on the fly booking decision, he rehabs him in one night, basically where, you know, he wins it. He gets beats red and London. London gets the one win. And I guess he figures red can afford to lose twice because he's got a title belt. So booking makes sense. Everything works out. And Justin, any other points you would like to make? Not particularly. This is also my favorite match. And then another question I had for context, or if you know, I don't know if I read it in the Observer at the time, or Matt had a torch of screw. I mean, Matt and I didn't share a torch account. <laughs> Matt told me about something that he read on the torch at the time, or maybe it was just on a message board. It could just be one of those apocryphal stories, but I heard that um, in a match with Christopher Daniels, where um, his ribs were worked on and worked on and worked on to such an extent that they were actually got damaged in real life and he was actually hospitalized and Marilyn Manson had a rib cage removed so that he could suck his own dick. <laughs> uh, I just... <laughs> now, this is the worst thing. First off, I don't know. If, I, I I don't think that's the match me and Matt were, were referring to. Second, mm. this is horrible because now I just want to have conversations with people in my day to day life and then work in <laughs> Marilyn Manson had ribs removed so he could suck his own dick because I think that is the best way to catch someone unaware. Is there is there a Chili's near where you live? Because I feel like that <laughs> could really open up all sorts of possibilities on how to work that in. The, 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 you should give the well, water count with great ideas. Like after um, your, your great dating idea, you know, you should sell chilies on the idea of being the first place you think of when someone talks about Marilyn Manson getting ribs removed to see his own dick because you came with chilies with lightning quickness. After <laughs> You're like, hey, is there a chilies nearby? Speaking of Marilyn Manson or performing auto fellatio, Marilyn um, Manson. Chilies. Removed his own rib, Marilyn Manson. Barbecue <laughs> sauce. It's like, never mind. <laughs> okay, we're gonna Speaking get some. Beat. We're gonna get. I don't want to say, but I have to. But probably the way to end that line would be suck his own cock. It's the same vowel sound. It's the same vowel sound, which is why I don't like. I don't even use that word as a as a bad word, but you know, it would fit the rhythm and the meter. So I'm looking forward to the feedback of this episode. So um. Ring of Did Honor. I take a very academic and informative show and drag it into the gutter? Yes, oh, yeah, yes, no, yeah, yeah, yes, unequivocally, yes. You cleaned it up with mythology. You, mm. you, you made us smarter than we really were. You the classed myth of it Persephone. Up. It's why yes. we have winter times. So the main event, Ring of Honor title match, his first official title defense, even though technically he put it on the line in the four-way on the last show, but Samoa Joe successfully makes his first title defense against Doug Williams, defeating Williams via submission, 11 minutes, 45 seconds with the rear naked choke, AKK, I said, almost said KKK, AKKK, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. 
you're hitting all the you're, 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 you're hitting all the political <laughs> sweet spots here tonight. Um, I I wish a lot of luck to Matt and whoever his new co-host will be on the next episode because obviously I'm not going to last. But um, <laughs> do I have that power, Jesus? Well, I mean, it has to go on without me, Matt. So you're going to have to find somebody. <laughs> Joe Gagne and Matt are going to do a great job starting with the next episode. Trust me. Um, Justin, you want in? <laughs> do it. I can do two more episodes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought this match, maybe the crowd had kind of been killed by the last match because this crowd had been really hot all night. And while they still reacted to stuff in this match, I feel like they were pretty quiet whenever there wasn't like a big move happening. I thought this was a good match, but it just didn't feel like a main event. And Samoa Joe would pretty quickly learn how to make his matches feel like big main events. But this just felt like something that would be more in a mid-card, kind of a mid-tempo match. And, you know, only 11 minutes. It's After having to follow, like, the last match, in hindsight, maybe they should have flipped the order. Even though I know you want the world title at the end. Um, There's nothing wrong with this match. It's just, in some ways, it's kind of like a weaker version of the last match because they focus a lot on working Joe's arm over Williams comes up with a couple cool ways to work it over. Like he torques his arm. So it's against Williams own head and then just kind of smacks it. He gets an arm bar while he's hanging upside down when Joe was trying to do a move to him. Cool things like that. But really the, the arm stuff doesn't really have a great big payoff and seeing how's the very last match we saw a move, a body part get worked over and have a big payoff. That's a little bit disappointing just by comparison, but I actually thought these two had good chemistry. I liked the way they worked together. I I thought, you know, Joe's working really hard. Williams is working really hard. I, I thought it was just good, but this was the show with a lot of just good matches. And so I guess that for, in that sense, it's a little disappointing. Um, Matt, do you agree with that or disagree or yeah, I, some third thing? I fully agree. Um, I think, you know, there's not a ton to say. I, you know, um, like Doug Williams always impresses me. I just think he's so smooth. He's so good. I've said it every time he's been in a match, but like every single time. He doesn't disappoint. I think he's such a good wrestler. Um, so there was that. Um, had it going for him. But there was, the match was methodical. You know, Joe hasn't fully fu- quite figured out how to work his full style. Like, a lot of his moves are still the same, but he doesn't do a lot of the strikes worked in with the holds. Like, the, the, the pace is slower, like you said. Um, so there's, there really wasn't a lot of, like, dynamism to the match. It, was ne- it never really got exciting, which, you know, I think you want a main event to be exciting, right? Um, so that yeah. was kind of its downside. Um, there were a couple of cool little spots. Like, I liked that... Joe was working on Doug, working on Doug, and then Do- Doug finally hit his big comeback move, which was a cravat. And <laughs> I, like, I thought that was actually cool. Um, but the finish kind of came out of nowhere. Just um, Doug went for the chaos theory. Joe blocked it, hits knees to the head, did the choke, got the tap out. The choke, you know, obviously he still uses it. I never thought it was the coolest finisher because I feel like the, the way modern wrestling is, like, getting your finisher on in, like, some weird angle, like, in some exciting way is kind of what makes it pop a little bit. And at this point, he would just kind of put it on. And so it kind of, like, the climax didn't really hit to the same level. Um, and it didn't help this match that it was still very, pretty early in him trying to establish that. So in a match that was already maybe had an uphill battle following to follow the last match, the fact that it ends with this, like, just straight choke finish that maybe not all the crowd even get, that probably didn't help either. I agree. But, yeah, so I think, you know, I think a 
perfectly fine match, but yeah, not really what you want for a main event. Um, Justin, it, does Samoa Joe count as one of your friends at this point, or was this like visiting just an acquaintance <laughs> watching this he, match? He is one of my friends now. He looked so young, which was a haunting image to me. I was like, wait, do I look older 15 years later? I hope not. Um, Samoa Joe is really cool. I think it, seeing him being all like um, youthful in his face and less um, like calamitous to his body really shows you how much uh, WWE missed the boat on him for so long, considering yeah. like it was 2005 or so when they signed Punk and it took them another uh, 10 years to get Joe. And I wondered why going to the show did I think Samoa or assume or know that Samoa Joe was so cool? And I think what I had done was confused this match where Samoa Joe wrestles for the championship against like a beefy English boy who's hitting him hard with the one we saw two years later with Matt in New York when he wrestled Nino McGinnis, a better beefy English boy uh, for the pure title. Although, so, I, although, although I would maybe push back on the idea that Nigel McGinnis is definitely better than Doug Williams. I think they're both awesome. Okay. But that's all. I, I <laughs> didn't really know who Samoa Joe was at this point in time. He w- this was like my introduction to him. I did not know of his reputation going to the show. I did think he was cool. Not as cool as CM Punk or Paul London, though. I dig you. I dig you. And uh, yeah, yeah, that is actually that kind of bums me out thinking about like, like I used to think about that a lot. What you said about how WWE really missed the boat on Joe. I guess I've seen so much Joe that I don't really think about that anymore. But like it's a reminder that man, like Joe really did age quite a bit. Like he's not AJ styles. You can, where you go, man, he works almost exactly like he used to. And he looks youthful. Like Joe looks like he's lived 15 hard years of working wrestling. And yeah, that is a depressing reminder that they could have had a much more like spry and fast and athletic and, you know, less injury prone Samoa Joe, if they had just not been such, I guess the medical word is doofuses. I, I don't know. Like, like it just. Uh, it, it, well, so they punk had his... diagnosed him, right? Punk diagnosed him as his doofus son-in-law. Yeah. So yeah, this is um, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a bummer. But good, good match. It's it's not gonna be if if you're big fans of both these guys, go into this like with lowered expectations, and you might like be real satisfied. If you go into it thinking about like what your dream of the of a Doug Williams Samoa Joe match could possibly be. I don't think it's going to hit that level, but it's not a bad match at all. Um, after the match, Dan Moff and Donovan Morgan run in. They beat down Joe. Michael Shane runs in and fights with Morgan, and but you know he's only one guy, so it doesn't change the number game. And uh, then Christopher Daniels comes in. Daniels and Morgan hit their revelation double-team finisher on Shane, and Daniels then hits last right on Samoa Joe before getting on the mic and telling us that we have just seen the Prophecy's Retribution. So another mention of the show name. Titular line. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> Prophecy make their way to the back with Daniels telling the camera that he hopes Steve Carino is fucking watching so he's pissed i made a note Don't here see- that i made a note here that the group is lame like yes the group is Which really group, lame. The, the, that's a good point uh, the, the 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 cheese curl one um they're they're lame because um so joe is a face here he's a heel i guess because he's part of the group shane is like super vile because he's part of the group carino is the worst and then there's cw anderson who like is he there is he not there um like it's just like there's there's no like 
there's no continuity between who they are. Why would Joe be a part of these people if he's supposed to be this serious champion of honor, yet everyone hates the group that he's in? Um, I forget what they're called. And um, they're like... It just it just doesn't make any sense. Like it just it's just such a bunch of disparate parts, and obviously they abandon it very quickly. But I don't even know why they bother doing it if they're not gonna like. What's the point of making these stables if like they have no identity? And also the point of this stable was like they book themselves. They have all the power, except most of their members don't show up to most of the shows. So like, what's that say about their enthusiasm? Like they can do whatever they want, and then they don't show up most of the time. So I guess they want to stay home. Like, but then when like Joe, that, but then when Joe is by himself, they treat him as as like ultimate honorable champion. Like, so which is it? Yeah, it. it this is one of the most just like. I don't know what – obviously, Crino not being around as much as they hoped to put a damper on it. But I don't even know what their original plan was because it did not turn out close to like anywhere – it didn't It didn't become satisfying at all. So I don't know well, how this original stuff looked in Gabe's head versus how it turned out. Well, but. this concept where like some of the guys are heels, some of them are baby faces, but they're all friends. Like just like pick one. Like – yeah. They had they had heels and baby faces in ROH, even though they sort of pretended they didn't. So just decide who these guys are. Yeah. So the segment ends, and uh, Joe and Shane recover in the ring. They get a little bit of an ROH chant from the few fans, the, from the fans that aren't leaving the building to beat traffic or whatever. Um, That's me. Yeah, you. This is all new to you, then. Um, next, we get a Carnage Crew promo that seems like it was taped the night of Do or Die. It, the says, next show. it says that it was. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, Carnage Crew run down all their opponents in the scramble match that they'll be having on that show, but um, DeVito keeps running them down. I mean, Loke does this thing where he's like, you know, but that's not why we're happy about going. And that's not DeVito why it's special. Yeah, and DeVito can't guess why, and then Loke tells him it's because we don't have to be home that night with our shitty, ugly, fat, crackhead wives. Yeah, so it's like the same the same Carnage Crew promo they cut every show, which is we don't care about winning or losing. We just like fighting, and we like not having to be home with our wives. So they could just get a same, divorce. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, maybe, maybe they can't they're the legal bills. I don't know, but I mean, maybe they're that religious persuasion where <laughs> they think that's an affront to God's vision. And that's probably, what yeah, I don't know. That's probably what anyway, um, we end the show with Joe cut it. Oh wait, no, we got, well, <laughs> my, I got mixed up in my notes. So yeah. actually Get two the, little segments, the Daniels promo. Yeah. Whenever there's Daniels is on a show, he usually does like two long promos. Yeah. Cause they really rely on him a lot. Still, even now after they've kind of gotten more characters. Backstage, uh, Daniels is with Moff and Morgan. They're celebrating. They find Alice in danger, who's hurt from getting bumped during the Paul London-Daniels match. Uh, danger apologizes for not being there, but Daniels is like, oh, it's all good. He's just so pumped that he won. Daniels says, the last time they were in Pittsburgh, the show was called Revenge on the Prophecy. Tonight, they'll have to call it Retribution. So again, just <laughs> hammering over over and over again the name of the show. Daniels runs down all the good things that the Prophecy did tonight. Daniels says, the hunt is on for the world title. Donovan Morgan wants to go get their paychecks, which Daniels thinks is a good idea. Daniels says something to Alice in Danger, which I couldn't quite make out. And all I could really hear him say was, yeah, let's get paid or... Maybe something that rhymes with paid. It's like <laughs> that doesn't seem like a Christopher Daniels type thing to say. Like he always seems like a pretty wholesome guy. Like even in this gimmick. So like him being like, "Yeah, let's get laid. I'm married." Ooh, like this, well, <laughs> well, the storyline is that he's like having a 
relations with danger, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be. But remember that one show where we where like she was supposed to kind of hit on Daniels, and Daniels like clearly didn't want to sell it. He was like, "Ha ha, yeah!" Like, <laughs> yes. Like, like if anything, Daniels has always been. It seems like he's naturally like not the kind of guy that would do that. So he has a hard time acting like that. That's so why I think he, that's probably probably why he said something that rhymes with paid because I think he just couldn't get the word out. Laid. He just couldn't. He just couldn't bring himself to say it. Yeah, he's like Justin saying cock. Same thing. It, it, he'll do it. It's tough, though. It just but has if, to if, be if, for a rhyme. It, yeah, it, 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 it does feel weird to say, doesn't it, Justin? <laughs> yeah. So now we get to the final pro- promo that ends the show. Joe cuts the backstage promo on Christopher Daniels saying he's hunting Daniels now. Lots of references of hunting in these promos tonight. He points to a marked up, possibly broken nose and says that when he gets Daniels, he's going to break more than his nose or even his neck. In my notes, I wrote, break his dick, question mark. So that's how much I am. Um, break no, his cock. Joe <laughs> goes on to say, he's yeah. going to break Daniels as a whole and his posse, and that's the gospel according to Samoa Joe. Cut was, to copyright information, end of show. That was the debut of like the quiet, like stoic, um, babyface champion Joe promo. I don't remember him doing one like that before, but he does a lot of them over the next few years. Yeah, it, it was good. So, uh, yeah. That that's retribution round robin challenge two. We made a lot guys, more out of that show than it really was. Yeah, um, guys. So, um, Justin, what did you think revisiting Ring of Honor as a whole and this show after all these years? What did you think of the show? I was scared to be on your show and come off as so dumb, and I'm relieved that we put together nearly three hours of content, and I was there too. Um, it was nice to reminisce. I also touched base with Mike. It's not like we've been estranged for this time, just to, to talk back on what it was like going to that show. Um, we went to Perkins afterwards. I had a hamburger. He had Perkins. chicken tenders. That's pretty much the end of the, my report from 2003. <laughs> um, I was happy to do it. And then I'm ready to come back in two years and then four years after that to do the other two shows I went to in 05 and 09. <laughs> Matt, what do you think of the show, and what's your favorite Perkins order? Uh, I have not been to Perkins since I was a kid, but probably an omelet. I don't know. Um, I um, I thought that this was not a you know important show for ROH, but I thought it was kind of good, and so it just goes to show that like ROH has gotten to a point where they can do not much and have a good show because they have a good roster of talent, even when a lot of their best guys are not there, like Danielson who's not going to be back for months. Um, Styles, uh, Loki, the Briscoes, none of them are on the show. And yet they still seem like they had a, a roster with a lot of really good talent. So I think they're in a good place. The shows, like the nothing shows are so much better than the nothing shows were in 2002. And, you know, maybe nothing show is too strong of a term, but this was not a show that was majorly eventful. But it, but it had good wrestling and good character work, and it was entertaining. Uh, I wish the commentary was better, but... Overall, I would say it was a it was a thumbs up show, not one that anyone might ever want to go out of their way to see or anything. But if you watch it, it's it's good. I, I thought it was a good show. I thought this was almost like I don't know how this show holds up, but um, I remember the prevailing the conventional wisdom on WrestleMania 14 was it was like a show with nothing great, but it was pretty consistently good. I thought for the most part that's what this show was like. There's Pretty much all my notes is just like I know I've in the past been the guy that calls too many matches good without like 
going above or lower, but like this really was a show where everything was just consistently enjoyable, except for uh, Gabe Sapolsky's misogyny fun time five minutes, as opposed to the Trevor Dame misogyny fun time thirty <laughs> seconds, which we had earlier. <laughs> but um, like um, it it was good. It was just I, I think this was a good show, and I think something you and me have talked about, which is how much depth they have compared to that first year, where they can have no AJ Styles, no low key, no Brian Danielson, no Steve Carino, like all these guys, they can no Briscoes, and the show is still not just like a good show overall, but like a lot of consistent good matches up and down the card. I think that just shows just how much of a roster they've built out in one year, and yeah, it, it's not a show you need to run to see, but. You know, it's also if you if you actually did for some reason get your hands on this DVD or this dot MPEG file, and you sat down, I, it wouldn't be a thing where I would tell you just watch one match. Like it's enjoyable to watch all the way through. So yeah, and let me ask Justin. Let me ask Justin one thing. Um, hey, bud. Yeah. So um, what I one thing one thing I know is going back and rewatching this stuff is you know while certain like aspects of the time are noticeable, like this is like stuff wouldn't fly today, like obviously Gabe's commentary. As far as the actual, like, wrestling, I feel like the state of the wrestling art in America has not advanced so much beyond this where you would, like, watch these matches and be like, oh, these matches are so 2003. Like, like if most of these matches took place now, they'd feel of a similar quality to as they felt then. Uh, so, Justin, as someone who doesn't watch this stuff very often at all, do you feel the same way? Like, if you watch this, the matches themselves don't feel especially dated uh, I am so happy you said that because now I feel earnestly smart and good. My reaction when I put on the show and Red and Daniels came out and started just doing some fast-paced action, I was like, this just looks like what all wrestling is now. Um, the the one thing I thought was missing was like false finishes and flipping up signature moves and crossing them up in uh, interesting ways. And they do, so, they do, yes, that, every, they do that every yes, once yes, in a while, I do. too. Yeah, see, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's cool. Like, I think that's cool to know. It's like... Like, they really were ahead of their time here. Yeah, I, and go on. <laughs> uh, I was just also going to say, well, you're probably going to talk about work, right? So say that, because mine will be a, a segue. No, I didn't really have much else to say, so. Oh, uh, okay. Well, when Matt and I were at a different time and actually, like, emotionally invested and interested and curious as to what was going to happen with the state of the number one North American wrestling company named WWE. Um, one of the questions we came back to from like 2011 and 2014 was like, so is history going to repeat itself where um, like the glue guys in ECW um, go underappreciated for a while and then end up through like pure meritocracy end up being glue guys with very successful WWE careers, even though like at certain times doesn't look like it's going to happen, but then uh, their talent wins out in the end. And it was it was a genuine question when me and Matt were having these conversations on podcasts. And I think it's it's nice that in 2018, the resounding answer to that question is that is absolutely what happened. History repeated itself uh, identically again in the same way. That is a good point. Yeah. So, and that will wrap it up. So now we just go into the usual little plugs where if you want to contact me or Matt, you can contact us at through the years at gmail.com. And of course, through is spelled T H R O H because we're cute. Um, 
Twitter is at Trevor Dame or for Matt at Mayor MGF. Justin, do you want us to plug your Twitter or would you prefer not to have our audience? I will take any and all questions and critiques. Give us your Twitter. It's J.M. My last name is Shapiro. It's spelled with a Y, however, in this handle. J-M-S-H-A-P-Y-R-O. Because he's cute. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, we post on the Pro Wrestling Only message board. We got that great post from Laney recently. F4W message board, even though it's now a blinding white monstrosity. Um, Oh, wait, wait. wait. It now is a blinding white monstrosity? (laughs) Look, before those guys were... (laughs) Okay, you win. Okay, um, so we, we put, we're on message boards. Um, you, you heard Justin, though. Send all your complaints to him. Okay. Yeah. And very blindingly white. <laughs> Why aren't I allowed to say certain words, you know? In course, in <laughs> case, I said in course. Um, in case, like, I, I think the audience here, we're going to have a pretty high crossover of knowledgeable people. But in case you did not, for some reason, know this, Justin has done a ton of podcasts on thecubsfan.com with Joe Gagne running down the history of WWF better than pretty much anybody um, with Matt talking about things. I mean, I remember the, the, the shows where he talked about the history of WrestleMania. Those were great shows. And probably, sadly, we probably won't get an update since much like London and Punk, WWE has killed your love of the business. <laughs> both of yours. And no, but, way, uh, no way can we rewatch some of those recent WrestleManias. They're like 85 hours long. Yeah. Um, but still, like, there is so much uh, good Justin wrestling content, even his own show, Justin Shapiro Show. If you just want the unadulterated Justin, once you've, like, weaned yourself, to, you want the pure stuff. Yep, that's for devotees. Yes, um, it's all really good that's stuff. That's on it a lot, and you're yeah. on it once. I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like the unofficial co-host. That's, I, that's what I deem myself of that show. Mm-hmm. You're, you're <laughs> the unofficial co-host of List Them and Learn, so at least you got that going for you. Mm. Woo! So um, thecubsfan.com for all of that stuff. And that is it. Thanks you so much, Justin, for coming on and going through the marathon that is an episode of <laughs> Through the Years. And next time, me and Matt will be covering Do or Die, which is Samoa Joe versus Homicide. First ever Ring of Honor Samoa Joe Muscle Buster. First ever CM Punk on commentary. We'll see how misogynistic he is. And all sorts of other stuff. <laughs> called Jamie Keys a little boy robot when he was on NXT, so that should be some litmus test. Will women get hit? That's what we will answer <laughs> on every episode. Of and then I'll just I'll make a promise to you and your listeners: if Ring of Honor runs West Mifflin for a third time, I will go to that show and report on it for you. Okay, we have a live roving reporter. So thank you, everybody, and be safe. Bye.